Join us for the fantastic adventures of Flash Gordon. Flash uses football to fight his enemy, Ming the Merciless. Titus, are your men on the right vitamins? Flash's strategy proved successful. Will he survive? Find out December 5th at a theater near you. Music by Queen. Rated PG. jump right into this but i've heard people slag that off that little voiceover and i love that voiceover but i I'm, think i'm already digressing it's not the it's not the voiceover it's, it's just it's the, the fact the that lip it, movement. that the yeah that the lip movement is that the prosthetic was not as you know the rondo hatton prosthetic we're jumping right in right now <laughs> jumping right in we're, we're just we just jumped as far as into, we could into, into the deep end into the deep end kind and, of ball. We're, and we're one of those things where you jump into the water and yeah then i don't think it, i don't know if it's necessarily the actual voiceover it's the fact that it's like clearly a dub oh yeah and his lips aren't moving that well but how do you i mean circa 91 how do you make lips move that well oh, it doesn't bother me yeah exactly that's my point <laughs> i think it's great but some people were like uh you know what do you want do you know you gotta dig them up but um, hey, we're here. It's a big show today. This is a big one. We've stayed up all night. Staying up all night. We've been here. So we've been up since Friday. We did a <laughs> we did a two two night sleepover, where um you know remember the old days when you'd have like a big sleepover and you'd have say multiple friends over or oh yeah they'd sleep over for a couple days in a row and your parents like when are they gonna leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, that was always the big thing for me. It's like um, trying to like plot and scheme, having like the one friend sleep over. Then the second friend's like, I don't want to be left out. And you're like, ah, shit. Could this kid sleep over too? I mean, you know, his parents don't like him and his mom's an alcoholic. And, you know, maybe we could be saving the kid's life tonight. <laughs> yeah, the big sleepovers. I was always with the big sleepovers. I mean, that people would have like, you know, like a birthday party. I don't think I ever had a sleepover where like a shitload of people slept over but you know like in elementary school i remember going to some and i was always be one of the ones where like me and my friend joe were always the ones that like stay up all night we talked about that in a cast where there's yeah, yeah. some and then first get, cocoa pebbles or what was that oh yeah fruity pebbles fruity yeah. pebbles i forgot and what then it'd be like the was. next day everybody's like there's video because it's the birthday party the next day yeah and every there's like vid, you know like you know camcorder video yeah 80s of everybody watching movies and have a good time and me and joe are just like passed out out. <laughs> i never had huge... and then we'd always get in a fight that was part of it because we get we were little, so we'd get all like cranky, and we'd end up like getting like physical fights and the fist fight. fights. Yeah, jeez, we don't want Blake to sleep over those those kids, Blake and Joe. Yeah, well, getting the fights and we were troublemakers. What can I say? Um, I never had like a like a bunch of people sleep sleep over. I had like a big birthday party in fourth grade where I had like a bunch of friends, and that was like the big birthday party I had. Uh, I had a birthday party at McDonald's, which was cool. That's you know, nice. the, the McDonald's, you know, the and then I had a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, but the McDonald's birthday party was the one that was at the Playland. But anyway, but I've had like I remember having two people sleep over, and that was pretty crazy. Yeah. And I remember that night we had the two people sleep over. We watched RoboCop, and that was pretty crazy because the other kids hadn't seen RoboCop. And it's hilarious. Now I'll admit something that sounds rather awkward, but it's funny. Like we were out all day, just like like you know, playing in the backyard, and we were completely 
disgusting. So my father, like, uh, you know, we, he got us all in and said, all right, the three, you're going to take a, ba- a shower. And he had us all get in the shower at the same time and just, okay, pass the soap <laughs> around and then come on, come on, we, we hurry, we're in a hurry. bathing suits at least? No, yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's just, all right, we're done and then come on out. Everybody huh. dry off and it was hilarious. It's just like, you know, he, wanted, he wanted to get it all done because it was and you a guys line. were like 14 at this point? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, we were in our early 20s, maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we were, you know, maybe 26, 27. It was, it was, it was pretty weird. Uh, but getting to sleepovers. Um, so back in the day, having those big raucous sleepovers and having yeah, people, that's yeah. like this. I, I think, you know, we got to points where we'd have like a few, I think I had a few, I had people sleepover, but that was kind of like when we were older and it wasn't like officially a sleepover. Oh yeah. It yeah, was yeah. like we were hanging out and then yeah. it got late and we just all <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you're right because I remember like when that incident happened, we all had to shower together quickly. That was like, we were like seven, eight. And then yeah, that was yeah. a huge thing where it's like you're having two people sleep over but then as i got into high school you know my two friends martin and chris yeah they yeah. would sleep over quite a bit and you just yeah, got yeah. to be like and all it right. wasn't even like you know the, you know they didn't bring like a pillow and a suit yeah pillow. you just like broke out pillows yeah it wasn't like the parents were sleeping over like, all right you know you guys are gonna stay over. and the kid you know the parents are like you know they're handing off the kid you know with their meds and all that kind of thing and he's allergic to ping knocks and watch <laughs> out and here's, here's emergency contact numbers but then you think about the movies you'd watch back then it's like you know i watched robocop at one um I, you know it's just all the crazy fun movies and uh, I remember we watched, there was one, a birthday sleepover. I think it was a birthday sleepover. And it was my friend Joe. Like, we, at that point, that was like fourth, fifth grade. Like, basically every other weekend, either I would sleep over his place and, or he would sleep over my place. It was like every weekend one of us slept over the other person's house or whatever. Always fighting when you have <laughs> No, no, when it was just the two of us, we were okay. It was like, when it was large groups, we got, we got in trouble. Um, and I think we rented... Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Oh. And I think my stepdad watched it, like, downstairs while we were hanging out in my room. And then when they went to bed, we went downstairs to watch it. Yeah. And I noticed that it started right at the movie. Yeah. And I was like, there's no tr- previews or anything? And I rewound it back, and there was, like, you know, a red, you know, red screen or whatever. Red bear? Our, yeah, red bear. Even back then? <laughs> Before the movie. And I don't remember what the trailer was, but clearly my stepdad watched it and was like... They don't need to watch that trailer. And do you think? I guess the trailer was worse than the film itself. I guess because Tales from the Dark Side, the movie's pretty messed up. I know, but I, it's probably more about nudity. Although I think Ray Don Chong is nude, and she may get, she may show. So I don't think Julia Juliana Moore shows anything. Anyway, um, that's I remember that. And then all, also there was, for some reason, at like three o'clock in the morning, they would play that. I remember, remember in the nineties. War of the Worlds TV show. Loved it. And yeah, yeah. that would always be on. And so it'd be like, we'd be like roughhousing downstairs. My parents would be asleep. And then we'd, the TV would be on and that would come on. And I just remember we'd sit and watch. That was a really good show. I watched the first season, like two seasons. It either got to the second season or the third season and it got really stupid. That and... Uh, What's his face? Alienation. Oh, the, that was a great the TV show, too. Show, that was a good show. Yeah. The, the alienation thing I thought was really good, but the War of the Worlds scared me more because the things would take over your bodies, which was a complete separation from the. Yeah. yeah. They're basing it off the 50s, um, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, sci fi movie. And. Uh, it was scary because the, the the things the hand that was their shtick the hand would come out of the chest yeah, yeah and cover yeah. the person's face and then the the body they would kill it would like die and you'd become the host and the body would slowly rot so and then I remember like the first 
like in the opening sequence, it was like that those barrels were at some sort of disposal unit, and these terrorists were doing something, and they weren't terrorists, terrorists like we know nowadays. They're just yeah, like yeah. you know American freedom fighters, whatever the hell. And they opened these barrels, and the the, the, the aliens got out, and like the three leaders took over the terrorists, and then they became like the, the three, you know, bad guys through the whole series. That were then they were like in a cave for the rest of the series, yeah, like yeah. dictating plans. And it was and the guy Ponch, remember from um. Predator. Mm-hmm. The guy gets hit by the log. He was yeah, like the yeah. colonel in it. That was a really good show. And I, for years, that was you couldn't find that. And I think now it's they've released it on DVD, like seasons wise. But I'm kind of like hesitant. Yes, very hesitant to go back because <laughs> it's like almost going to see the Blob when we yeah, did the yeah, last yeah. year's Halloween on the Blob. I'm kind of like I, I don't know how I'll you know. And then I always thought it was funny because to me, like they always look like pepperonis on their fingers. The three, you know what I mean? <laughs> when you know when you cook a pepperoni, it's a pepperoni monster. Yeah, it's a pepperoni. You know when you cook a pepperoni, they become like suction cups and they look yeah, like suction yeah. cups. And you used to always scare me. Oh, jeez. But speaking of be- birthdays, yeah, uh, we have a big one. Today. We're celebrating. Yeah, one. we're the big deuce. <laughs> we're dropping a deuce today. Yeah, guys. We're, 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 it's our second anniversary, and it's and what a year it's been. It's I mean, our anniversary. Our anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's it only seems like yesterday, literally, that we did the Batman cast, which was a year ago. It was a year ago. The Punisher one, which was two years ago, which was our inaugural that, that cast. Seems that seems like a little. Long that ago. seems like it was a while ago. Yeah, that seems like it doesn't seem like it was two years ago, but no. that kind of seems like that was a year ago. Yeah. But the Batman cast and us almost getting our well, getting our stomachs pumped at the ER. That was. <laughs> And, and I'm still I'm still fighting those bills. <laughs> those with my, of you uh, that missed the, the Batman cast, we yeah. we cracked open an unopened box of Batman cereal, circa 1989. Yeah, that could have went weird if we're since. No, I'm not going to say. We're getting our stomachs pumped. Uh, and it, yeah, and we opened. A, it was an unopened. We opened live to tape. Yeah, we 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 cracked the cellophane and we opened it up. You bought it like a convention, at a convention, yeah. You know, retrocon and outside of Philadelphia that year. Oh, that's great, and it was still <laughs> sealed, and it came with the bust, like the uh, the plastic um, uh, bank. The yeah, bank. the plastic. I was like all wrapped. Where's up. that thing now? The Are bank? You sold that on eBay, or is that no, on the, top the, of your TV? The bank. I think I still have the one. I still think I have the box of cereal you somewhere. Just, you just put it in the cupboard. <laughs> it's in the don't, cupboard. Don't put it in the cupboard. <laughs> Do you have anybody it's over? The, it's in the pantry. Yeah, your mom comes over to stay over, and she's like, oh, Batman cereal. Oh, this tastes like radium. <laughs> this uh, tastes like asbestos. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have anything as uh, no. as iconic as that for this anniversary. We said but. that last year. How, do, how can we ever like top? We really set a bar I told that we, that we should get tattoos. On, on the show. Did you? Have a tattoo artist come in. <laughs> 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 Mat- <laughs> matching. Either matching Rocketeer tattoos or matching, matching Saturday Night Movie Sleepover tattoos. Matching Rondo Hatton <laughs> tattoos where you only get, we, you have a profile and I have a profile yeah. and we put our biceps together and it's the full. <laughs> yeah, just like a half face. That'd be pretty crazy. Um, um, but oh, yeah, so this is the second anniversary. Uh, a lot has passed. Look at all the like all we've accomplished this year with uh, films we've watched. We've watched what? What does that mean? Twenty four films. Right? We're doing two a month for twelve months. Something like that. Wow. And uh, at least we're still right? going, and we have a great uh, um, audience. Like you know, we have a lot of listeners that uh, a lot of friendly listeners that, that are very as well as they're very. Um, uh, not talkative, but they're very responsive. They, they 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 ask us questions, and we talk back, and they bring up stuff. They suggest. They uh, bitch and moan about movies we'll put up, and they're like, Jesus, I hated that movie or this movie. or the <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, you guys are a bunch of idiots. <laughs> or like, we'll get like, oh, I forgot that movie. I haven't thought of that movie in 20 years. And so well, it's actually, it's for me, it's become very fun to, to – 
to kind of like uh, connect with people who I guess by any other means we would have never known or oh, met. Oh, yeah. That's kind of the... You know, and the, like, where are you? I live in Tulsa. Really? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I loved your episode. I was listening to like the Terminator and you guys were talking about... And it made me think of and it's like, wow, people are listening. Yeah, that's definitely been the coolest part about the whole thing i mean obviously well you know what we aside even, from the fact that you and i get to hang out and watch movies we didn't need a promo um i'm dion baia you're blake and i'm jay blake jay blake and we're here again and this is our two-year anniversary saturday night movie sleepovers extravaganza it's extravagant and it's a ganza um but it's fun it's it's like we've we've come such a long way and it's just like wow yeah well the batman won a year ago Tim Burton's '89 was a was like a big milestone. I mean, one, it was it's still our longest episode. It We're like, we made of, it. It was kind of a marathon. And two, at the time, it was the highest listened to. Oh, cast of yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we we didn't think of. we really surpassed. You know, that. we had doubled or tri- we had by that point we had like doubled the amount of listeners we had with that cast. Yeah, that was fun. And then we didn't think that was now. Possible. Now those numbers are like average for us, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah, it's weird. I, I always think it's fake. This is not. <laughs> it's just me hitting refresh. <laughs> I'm, I'm you and me listening to it over yeah. and over again. Look, at, did you hear that part where I cough? That was cool. You know, it's just yeah, it's just us refreshing. Whether people are actually listening to it, I don't know. If they're just subscribed and they forgot they subscribed to it, and, and it's still downloading. And but like, either way, why is my memory getting eaten? <laughs> Well, these long the, 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 the podcasts have become longer than the movies that we cover. But the fact that there's been growth is encouraging. Yes, stem cell growth. It's amazing. For, for, for our second anniversary, uh, and it's been, a, like, uh, it's been fun. It has, it's been like, yeah. exciting. We, we're having a good time. Let's just say like, by just, like I said, Batman was the milestone. Yeah. But like previous to Batman... We're like three to four times. We have three to four times more listeners on average, I think, than we did prior to Batman. Yeah, and obviously, you know, when you start, you don't have any. But by the time, by the end of that year, the first year, yeah. Now in another year, we've we've grown like maybe three to four times more in yeah. terms of average. So, listeners. so we're getting about fifty listeners a cat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're almost at a hundred. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it's fun because we never thought of this, and then it's just getting the word out. And maybe it's all word of mouth. I mean, we're not really doing like public access commercials. Hello, come listen to our <laughs> podcast. Oh, do you? No, have you been, been injured? Are you hurt? We, you know, we've been lucky enough to hook up with and have uh, you know good friendships or you know internet friendships with casts like the F This Movie podcast yeah. and stuff. And I think a lot of you know we get a lot of people who who have met, have come to us and said, oh, I heard. You, I heard about you guys on the F This Movie podcast, and I'm so glad that I did because I'm enjoying it, which is... We've had that more than once. Yeah, you know, which is amazing. Yeah. The F This Movie guys are great, and I just did F This Movie with Patrick I'm talking about my book, Scored to Death, and um, I'm hoping at some point in the near future we'll be able to have a little, even more crossovers between us and F This Movie. Like DC and Marvel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the crossover issue, and we did a. Uh, or maybe, maybe we'll see. Who knows? Someday, maybe Patrick will come to a sleepover, or, or we'll head over there. A monumentous uh, podcast we'd have, and uh, this year too, we did an interview for the for this podcast for with the uh, film Rat Wax Radio. Oh yeah, Film Wax Radio. We you went know? on and talked about this podcast. Yeah, that there. was maybe in the spring of uh, this year, uh, two thousand sixteen. So that's kind of the cool thing is that you like. Know. People in a way, like there's, yeah, we're in, interested and also like 
it's not competitive, you know, in terms of podcasts. I mean, it is a little bit, but it's like we're more f- like we well, could we're easily like, we're niche, right? Like, but we could easily be, you know, F this movie and, and us could easily be like, oh, we don't want to send listeners to, the, to their, oh, you know, we want. It's m- like a feud. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. no, it's like. They want people to come listen to us, and we want people to go listen to yeah, them. Yeah, we're pushing them. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, unlike uh, for people who won't even get these references for like the Jack Benny Fred Allen feud. Instead, we're more like in what is that um, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, where we're sending them over from Macy's. <laughs> we're sending them to um, what was the other name of that store? That's now out of business. Mally's or no? Oh, uh, I don't remember. Freaking uh, uh, Woolworths, maybe. You know, yeah, well, yeah. They, that was the whole shtick in the movie. They're sending them over there. Well, that's great business. <laughs> Montgomery back. Ward. Yeah, yeah. So we're sending people over. Like we, and they, I think they're amazing. They got me. Uh, I listened to one of their casts, and uh, they got me to watch a movie I hadn't seen uh, ever. The um, Manhattan melodrama, great movie that I didn't know was even on DVD, which is the movie that John Dillinger saw yeah. in the theater before he was killed outside the theater. And, uh, and uh, junk food cinema is another one that kind of was nice enough to you know promote us a little bit they do a very similar kind of thing to what we do so there's other people doing this but it's nice that you know we all kind of it's all people that love movies that want to talk nostalgically and lovingly about movies not just oh tear a movie down. And t- yeah and just make fun of them like uh like cultures become just just berate how stupid they are or how cynical you can be how about in the year of movies have you any any like updates and stuff uh, of going on like I've got two I've noticed one um, they're, they're kind of related I had my niece from England here about a month ago and one is we for some reason uh, oh we went to Piermont, New York okay across uh-huh. the Tappanzee Bridge yeah. and we got on the subject like oh they shot some of Labyrinth here and they're like really then we got hey let's go home and watch Labyrinth so we rewatched Labyrinth and we covered Labyrinth on like our January cast right the weekend sadly that David Bowie passed away yeah and that became like a big cast for us and uh, you know we hadn't seen it I don't know how many years before that you and I watched it for that cast and yeah. uh, it's interesting watching it the second time like it what is that? Ten months later? No, not ten months. Nine, eight months later. Uh, the songs are great. They're, they don't seem at all dated to me. Like they did, you know. They, they seem very eighties when we watched them that yeah, first yeah. time. They seem like but I not. was into it. I was singing. I was like, you know, <laughs> I was like, you're the babe, the babe for me, the babe for the world. So that they was appreciated. Yeah. So I thought they were they were completely. Yeah, he was. That was great. So I was like, oh, okay. They, you know, they kind of held up for His me. His package looked even better. Oh, it looked amazing <laughs> with that hair. You know, that whole outfit I thought was great. And then his yeah, it's just his package and those equestrian pantsies wearing were just voluptuous uh, <laughs> as any heterosexual would tell you um, I'm trying to think I mean this is the thing I, I need you to see there was another one well the other uh, thing was then um, I took the, my niece she wanted to go to uh, she was all into Pokemon Go so we're freaking walking around the world playing Pokemon Go and I was like aren't you supposed to look up when you look at the you know play Pokemon Go and we went to a toy store Toys R Us and uh, I hadn't been in a toy store in quite a while it blows my mind and I'm so upset that like uh the state of affairs that the toy industry is in now where they have these toys that are like either there's two sets there's like they're horrible like they're plastic that'll fall apart and they're just really cheaply made and they're really expensive or there's great ones that they're like the old like Todd McFarlane's they don't do anything they had like I just can't understand how expensive they are we went and they had like a batman 66 batmobile with the two guys in it they yeah, wanted like yeah. 80 bucks for that i'm like 80 bucks for just the batmobile like you know it's gi joe size yeah yeah you know i'm like you got to be insane so can you imagine like bringing a kid your kid now and you're just trying to have him you know collect and there's nothing out there really fun for the kid to collect it's like the toy industry just seems like it's all out of sorts because you don't know what you're 
franchise you want or if they're going to be popular or what it's going to have. So I was just really, I, I came out of the place. I was really upset. I was like, this stuff's too much money <laughs> and nothing's made of quality. And I was like, and these parents are just blowing all their money on bullshit. And I was like, yeah. this sucks. And how does this tie into the show? Uh, because of uh, nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Growing up and like going to toy stores, having a gun aisle at a toy store and look at how like our quality was back then yeah, and then yeah. now you revisit that you'd like you know people our age who have kids go to toy stores and it's like jesus these kids don't know what they're missing <laughs> you know they don't have quality they don't in have the Voltron with lead in philadelphia obviously we had toys r us but there was also growing up there was basically essentially the same thing but it was called kitty city that's a little weird and it was the mascot was a kangaroo a and, pedophile and it's babe you know in the pouch but it was the same thing yeah yeah and I, you would walk through and see the like the wildest stuff back then. Like you would see like V, you know the yeah the uh, TV like movie the, show series, <laughs> you know, the aliens. like Barbie sized V dolls with the lizard face, and you put like the regular face over. That's so funny if it's like a Barbie series. It's the Barbie <laughs> and Ken version of V. Take their faces off to reveal the reptile, Michael Ironside. I remember one time seeing the over the top arm wrestling table. A table you can get your kid? Yeah, yeah. Get your kid into arm wrestling now <laughs> at a young age. Make him be a trucker. <laughs> you know, it's the wildest toy. Well, that's what, like, they, they, that's what I feel like now. They don't really, like, G.I. Joe and Transformers have lost their, like, monot- um, um, I was going to say monogamy. They're, like, gluttony on the market. Yeah. So you have all these other series coming in. It's like, you know, I was looking at the, the Ghostbusters because the movie had just come out. And those things were kind of okay, and then they're stupid. Then they have these really high-end toys that look great, like of, say, like the remakes of the Ghostbusters toys or of Gotham, the TV show. And it's like you can't really play with them. They look like they are, like, you know, cast yeah. as the face, but you're, like, they're just made to just, like, the st- remember the so, starting lineup figures? Yeah, yeah, it's like a pose. And it's like, I, I, that's not fun to play with. And then when you get something fun to play with, it's like $100 or $200. You know, you wanted, she wanted to get a Pokemon Go freaking, it was a stuffed thing that you shake and it goes like or something it was like 80 bucks and i'm like you know but people pay for all this yeah yeah so it's just i i don't I, someone needs to get in there and regulate the system and up some standards oh man so those are yeah hey, so good night year, folks. yeah good night folks <laughs> good talking to you here uh but the year in review so it's been a fun year and i just think we have we've a lot covered coming. a lot of stuff yeah you know in the past year we've covered some uh we've had exclusives too which i can't think of offhand but we've had some fun things for people listening and we have a lot of fun stories we well, we had the randy jorgensen stuff we had the great randy jorgensen stuff from last year that was really uh mind-blowing and then we were able to then uh correlate that into a cast and we did cruising over we the summer we did the oddest sleepover choice ever cruising yeah that but was a, rather but a, uncomfortable but a fun, but a fun yeah. cast it was a fun cast it was a, it was an adults only podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah we keep making references to things it's hilarious in this podcast uh but yeah, so we did that and what else have we, we, we did uh great stuff we did some, some true film classics like rocky we did rocky for the uh, um, um new year's and cast we did we delved into fantasy in a way that i don't think we really did the year before with labyrinth and then never ending story yeah those are epics and then we covered a lot of like um we're we're kind of putting our feet this week we covered like dick tracy oh yeah we did dick you know tracy. we did batman like we said that was last year's cast um, dick tracy very easily could have been like an anniversary cast yeah you know? dick we tracy could, we could have done that this year and then this one next year we, we we yeah uh, we probably should have but it was <laughs> we ended up uh, god damn it you know but maybe next year I mean that's another thing that getting into 2017 it's like it's like we have so much like to look forward to because 
so many great movies came out in 1987, like Predator, RoboCop, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You have all these 30th anniversaries. So it's like we already have like half the table set. For like, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then there's like, you know, fan requests, ones we'd like to do. And yeah. It's, it's going to be a busy year. But we did a lot of those fan, like uh, fantasy, like you're saying, like comic bookish. Or, and you know, we did our first month of horror for October it was last year yeah, that was where a, we did we tackled we tackled the movie a week instead of our usual every two weeks and God threw a fifth weekend just to screw, mess with us so we had five <laughs> weeks in October that was fun so we popped in a silver bullet cast with me and my buddy Dave yeah that was kind of a side cast we never had like yeah, a guest that was on like the, the that was like the first that was like the inaugural guest like new original side cast yeah because all this other side casts were kind of re-releases of podcasts that we did elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, then reissues. Whereas that one was like a one specifically done for uh you know for this show. And then um we did the Breakfast Club. We did a lot of like eclectic things. Dutch. We did Dutch the Thanksgiving <laughs> it was movie. A year of uh Yeah. Well I forgot what we did at Christmas time. Oh we did freaking Invasion USA. <laughs> yeah. Um and then I forgot what the Gremlins. other Gremlins and uh Rick Baker connections. We have a lot of a lot of the movies end up tend to because of the personnel in it they all kind of connect because then we did harry and the hendersons didn't was that last year or was that a year before i don't know that might have been the year before but i don't remember yeah it gets all blurry because the year before we had done flight of the navigator we did some really great ones the first year last we starfighter was last starfighter and then our things for whatever reason end up hitting on like uh you know like sadly you know when david bowie passed away but we had just serendipitously like, like the day before yeah we were rec- no we recorded it that night that sunday morning and then he died that sunday night and i was that's why i said to you i was like can you believe this so we we rushed it out that monday not yeah. to look like we were jumping on some sort of bandwagon yeah, to, yeah. we you didn't know. wait for the friday we yeah just threw it out right away and then uh you know we put the the ghostbusters cast out when the new movie dropped the same day we did that with the ninja turtles we did our first double feature last year wouldn't the two Ninja Turtles movies. Yeah. Again, that's in the realm of this with the Dick Tracy and the, the superhero movies along with Batman. Um, so we did a lot of fun stuff next year. Or last, last year. Last year. And right. then we have a lot of fun stuff this next year coming up <laughs> that we're already talking next, about. But this coming year, we're not doing anything. Yeah, we're not going to. We're just going to talk. We're gonna, it's going to be self-help. It's going to be all costume drama. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Two period costume. You and I have always talked about like just you know doing a, a radio play that's just a straight radio. Can you imagine we just released like We a, did Tarzan, Lord of the apes graystone yeah yeah the, the, the whole the longest title ever that was great that was our july the 4th podcast <laughs> we saw that we brung in the, the independence yeah with with tarzan and um it's a movie that has nothing to do with independence yeah and uh we uh yeah we got a lot we have a lot of fun coming up this year we have a lot of uh uh i wouldn't call like antics or like gimmicks but like we ha- we're gonna have we're planning to do another month of horror in october if, if we can if we can manage if we can, it if we can quit our day jobs <laughs> We can enough. do that many sleepovers. Uh, yeah, because this is a very busy season for us. And then, uh, you know, then, then we get into this. We've talked about this before, but now we're, that we're getting into the fall, we get kind of regimented because there's so many holidays. We like to do themed, themed. stuff. So we have I don't f- know. We'll have to really, off off mic, we'll have to really figure out the th- a Thanksgiving. Yeah, because we, th- we have the four Halloweens and we're already into Thanksgiving. Then we have the Christmas. Then we have even if we could fit a New Year's in. Then we're in January, and then we have a lot of fun stuff into the 2017. So anyway. it's been a good year, and we've had a lot of people, you know, contacting us, and we'd like to thank everybody. I feel for like listening somebody to us. brought this movie up recently. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, on, on our Facebook page, we're doing this for our two-year <clears throat> anniversary. We're doing uh, Walt Disney or Dave Stevens's The Rocketeer from 1991. Yeah. 
It's yeah. kind of a theme. It's become a theme. I don't know if we'll stick with this theme for next year. But we did 1989's Punisher was our very first podcast. Yeah, which is actually Marvel's first entry into like feature film. Uh, funny enough, people don't even know that. Yeah, uh, with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Way better than I think either one of us remembered it being. Completely. <laughs> we enjoyed it way more than we kind and of remembered. And I think we both would. also confirmed that we thought elements we liked them better than the the two last movies yeah, the yeah. thomas jane one Surprising, and the ray stevenson a, a pleasant one. surprise with the what the 89 punch yeah shirt. all it lacked was that skull <laughs> and then a year later we did which was yeah last year's batman tim burton's batman <clears throat> tim burton's batman and that's our 89 we get into that, that being our epic longest running time podcast that's when we uh, you had found at the retrocon we got the cereal we ate the cereal we got our stomachs pumped I think we blew through the history of Batman. We had a lot to get. We had a lot there, and we and we finished recording, and we're like, oh, we forgot to mention we this. Had so and much we more. And that's that. another thing. It's like I always think we should do like the um, update episode of yeah, like you yeah. know, it's like the best of. <laughs> you know, we talk about things we've left out because I always feel like after we every time we do a podcast yeah, or yeah, stuff, like, oh, oh, I, I, forgot, I, to I forgot to bring that up. I forgot yeah. to bring up. He only has one toe. You know, <laughs> you know, he got his finger cut off in a combine accident. You know, but then so it's like. And I'm like, oh, well, we can do like an update episode, but then we never, yeah, then we forget it. All. We need to start maybe this year. Notate it all. We'll have to notate everything that, and then so that we'll have next like a year, Google Doc where we write down everything yeah. that we forgot to mention. So that like maybe the the next the third year anniversary we can, you know, what what are the updates? Well, we forgot to mention that you know Rondo Hatton. Blah, blah, blah. And then so now for this, and now a year later from Batman, we're jumping ahead two years to 1991, and we're doing a film that. It's interesting we're keeping it in the same era, 1989, um, 1989, <laughs> then 1991. Well, when, what, what year was Dick Tracy? 1990. 1990, yeah, so that would have been the Ninja Turtles, choice. 91, yeah. 90. But I feel like there's, uh, I mean, not so much The Punisher, but with The Batman, there's obviously like a very, there's like a kinship between like... Batman, Dick Tracy, this one, like that pulpy, yeah, you know, like obviously like Batman's obviously more kind of trying to be timeless, but there is those elements of like the film noir yeah. and like serials, dirty serial stuff, but where um, they all originated and the origins of. What's interesting, just to point out, even right, Tarzan. I guess you can, since we did Tarzan this year, you brought true. up this Tarzan is right out of because that was Edgar Rice Burroughs, and he's kind of like the grandfather that caused us to even have pulps yeah. to have doc savage to have um you know hugo strange if um you know it's so all these it's all these people you know that's it's so he kind of even though he's tarzan you don't look at him that way yeah uh he certainly and that was certainly a much serious more serious take on the star trek i mean the star trek <laughs> that was last cast yeah on the uh tarzan uh I, I, you know, story. It was very much a very heavy drama as opposed to more of an adventure. Yeah, they, did, they, did, they took it a really serious <laughs> turn, which I thought was great, which, which I think people should go listen to. And I didn't mean Hugo Strange. I named the wrong person there when I was naming everybody. But uh, but that's all part of this, what, what turns this into this movie, where this movie isn't from that era in the sense where it's that old, but this uh, was... Um, the the history of this was it came, was conceived in 1982 yeah. to basically pay homage to all that yeah but once you know before we get into kind of the history because I think it's really interesting to talk we'll talk about like what's going on in 1982 that this becomes you know the reason for for this kind of homage to those kinds of things but I think right off the like the surface Punisher we just said like the problem with the pun the like the biggest problem with the Punisher Dolph Lundgren movie is like without the skull yeah, low budget. A too. year later, 
we got Batman. Batman looks awesome in it, but is not visually, and the Batmobile is not really visually like out of the comic book. You no, know. it's a reinvision. Well, it's a kind of a re- Batman's going back to his roots of like 38, 39. I know, but like he never had that suit. No, it was books. definitely it was like definitely a an interpretation. But they were stuff. going back. We kind of said like it was an homage to this is Warner Brothers too. It's, no, that's not Warner Brothers. This, this, Disney. this is Disney. But it was going back to that homage the the Warner Brothers gangsters. But, but like 30s. the all black suit was never anything that Batman had in the comics. Yeah. Interesting enough, now we go to Rocketeer right out of the pages of the comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. He looks exactly the way he yeah, does I in mean, the comics. The, I'd say the only difference could be is that the backpack in the comics is a uh, like kind a of sing- single engine. Yeah, single. Where uh, the um, the movie, which I think it looks great, they kind of made it like a dual engine. But even, the you know, the outfit to the helmet to the to Even the, the way Billy Campbell looks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, aesthetically how he looks, is the, the casting of him is amazing. And, and the, the helmet, you know, we'll get into it as we get into the nitty gritty of the development of this movie but the helmet almost wasn't this helmet no it was clutch and then it goes back to michael eisner who we talked about on the um the flight of the navigator cast where he was kind of pushing for a different kind of style and um, yeah i met michael eisner and we can talk about that when we get to michael <laughs> eisner which we brought up again on the flight of the navigator cast so but, um, uh 1982 dave stevens yeah a uh, comic gr- book artist yeah great artist he started out um doing stuff uh, he grew up in Oregon. He, he uh, started doing uh, when he got out of college. He started doing pencil work for like the the Tarzan comic strip, the uh, daily things, and he ended up going on from there to uh, the two European Tarzan graphic novels, and then he ended up on the Star Wars uh, newspaper strip, and then from there he ended up getting a job with. Um, doing stuff for Hanna-Barbera's animated TV series. He did, like, uh, work on Super Friends, a personal favorite of mine, Janna of the Jungle, uh, which a lot of people forget. He did the, uh, the Godzilla Power Hour. And uh, then from there, he kind of went into movie uh, uh, art for studio work, and he kind of did, like, uh, storyboards for George Lucas and Steven Spielberg for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then he kind of got a job with John Landis doing Michael Jackson's Thriller. He yeah, did storyboards that for after. that. Uh, that's in the land of 82-ish. Yeah. And then he uh, here he starts doing still doing comic books. And in 82, he conceived this guy, the Rocketeer, Cliff Secord. Cliff Secord, the Rocketeer, an homage to the serials, the classic film serials yeah, that the you Rocket and I Man. talk about all the time. We got the Commander Cody. King of the Rocket Men and Commander Cody, the serial. Yeah, they did four in the in the in the 40s they did some serials that were in the theaters. They did four movies uh with this Rocket Man and then they took a bunch of the serials and they put them on television in the early 50s and that became the Commander Cody Sky Marshal of the Universe, which is also kind of like homage to that Sky Captains kind of a yeah, movie yeah. that came out in 2004 or 5 <clears throat> has a little that in there. But that was kind of an homage here. But I think what's important to kind of notate <clears throat> is uh Dave Stevens always says, even when he was envisioned the comic book and he started working the comic, he always kind of thought of it as a movie. And I think it's very much in the same. I think I think it it obviously owes a lot to the, to the fact that Star Wars and Indiana Jones were such big hits that and, kind of brought back and that. and homages to the same era of serials. like the movie serials. Yeah, um, especially Indiana Jones, Star Wars. Is an homage to like the but, the, uh, but like the Flash Gordons. I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Like Star Wars is like an homage to like the space Flash Gordons and like the um, 
Uh, there's the other one I can't remember right now. The, uh, the, the other space one, or like, uh, not like Captain Video, but then like certainly Indiana Jones where yeah. it's like, you know, you're fighting Nazis, you're doing like Doc Savage, you know, you're, you're on this earth, you know, not John Carter stuff, you know. And not to say that I think Dave, Dave Stevens was, you know, trying to, trying to capitalize on that kind of thing, but I think he... I think it was his wheelhouse. I think he definitely loved that kind of thing, and and to think, and I, I think probably the notion of like an Indiana, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, is is amazing. It's it made a lot of money. There's other people that love this too. You know, maybe I should follow my dream of trying to do this. You know, maybe other people would want to read this as well. Now the 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 angle that he put on it, which I asked absolutely love and i've actually done with a script i've written that you've uh, read and uh, i love that you look at in the during the serial era of the 30s and 40s once we kind of got into the war when, when when the tension was mounting with europe and then the war broke out um you kind of put these fictional characters suddenly sherlock holmes basil rathbone they put him like instead of in the turn of the century they put him in the era and he's fighting nazis and all yeah, of a sudden yeah. you have all of our uh these movies that come out where it's kind of like the third the invisible man movie it, yeah the, the secret agent, agent. Yeah, yeah or yeah. yeah or not the secret yeah the invisible agent fighting nazis and it, and it became that propaganda where we're even the serials you're fighting nazis and I th- it's great so you have this element of what i like to call historical fiction where you have like these fictional characters dealing with real actual historical events or people and you see that then when we jump to the late 70s with indiana jones into like 1980 or 81 when the uh, lost ark come out yeah that's what that's what indiana jones is doing he's dealing with nazis trying to find like uh you know uh relics of the past and he's trying to battle them because of the occult so dave stevens goes one step further which i think is amazing and he you know does that he, he he uses nazis and stuff but he also starts using real people which is amazing and in the yeah. original comic book he ends up uh, having uh, Doc Savage in it, and he ends up having uh, the Shadow in it. But he can't pay them, yeah. You know the, the copyrights to, to these companies, so he doesn't really use them by name. He kind of draws yeah. what they look like, and it's it's very clever. It's implied. Yeah, it's implied very much so. And if you're if you're in the know, you'll you'll get it within a second. Yeah, and I think it's great. and you know jumping ahead to the movie, you know now he's using you know Dave Stevens in the comic book is you know, incorporating these other characters, but also real people like Betty Page. Yeah. And, but then we get into the movie, it becomes even more talking, you know, incorporating real people because in the movie, Howard Hughes is the one yeah. that invents the rocket pack. Now, but in the comic... It's Doc Savage. Doc Savage. But it's he's, an unnamed Doc Savage. Yeah, and, they, and, and he's mistaken in the comic for Howard Hughes. Yeah. So that's why they don't say. He's like, oh, you must be Howard Hughes. So it's, it's, he's mentioned in the comic. The comic, which is great, then they've released it in 2009 in this great uh, edition called The Complete Adventures. It's basically an, an eight, uh, the original was uh, two, four issue things, part one and part two in, in this eight chapter uh, story. And the first four is him getting the rocket. It's very much like the movie. Yeah. He gets the rocket. He, he uh, saves Malcolm up there on the, the train. And yeah, the I mean, Nazis that first, are coming that, from that, it, that, that first se- act. That sequence, that first act of the movie is like right out of the pages yeah. of that issue. And then at the end of the first four issues is then <clears throat> the Nazis are trying to steal the rocket and they're trying to steal this thing called the Locus, and, uh, which is this secret Howard Hughes-ish, Doc Strange, uh, it's new uh, airplane that the Nazis want to give back to Germany. And then 
that ends uh, at the end of the, the story arc, but then the Betty Page character, the Jenny, she is taken by this uh, photographer because in, in the in the comics, she's more like Betty Page. She's a pinup nude model. Yeah, not you know, an actress. She's, yeah, so it's, it's a little racier in, in how Dave Stevens draws. His art, we have to say, is just so amazing. And yeah, it's just, yeah. it comes right off the page. It's so authentic. It's so realistic. And he draws Betty Page, like, amazingly. And so the, the story arc ends with the, the, everything is saved, but Betty Page, Betty jumps on a plane with this um, photographer and goes to New York. So the next series, which is uh, issues four through eight, is called the the, uh, the New York Adventures, and it's uh, Secord coming to New York to try to get her before she gets on a a, a transatlantic uh, boat and goes across the Atlantic to Europe. And then while he's in New York, he gets her, but then he ends up uh, coming up with his past because he was a carny, and he comes into like Rondo Hatton. The creeper shows up, and that's where yeah. I didn't know at the time. Uh, you know, going into this movie that like I thought Rondo was an invention for the movie version. I didn't know that actually Dave Stevens had such an affinity affinity for Rondo Hatton that he put him in yeah. in the eighties. And it's just a brilliant idea. And I showed you the picture of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's drawn so well that he even has the fuzzy, frizzy hair that Rondo had. Yeah. You know? And it's just a complete homage to to to, to Rondo. And then the uh PV also to make mentioned the comic he's kind of drawn like uh, eric powell's the goon the goon has a sidekick with little glasses and pv's kind of drawn that way he's like a little like thinner than alan arkin and yeah, you yeah. know so that's basically the gist of the comic and uh everything aside from that like the um like we said the how he looks the aesthetics and uh even the planes that they're flying like all dave stevens did like extensive research into all this the um the uh, aircraft technology at the time. This is supposed to take place in October 1938. So he, much like uh, we, we have um, Chester Gould doing for Dick Tracy uh, in the 30s, he researched everything era. So he has the right cars, he has yeah. the right planes, he well, has everything. Well, then, you know, that ended up being a big part of the movie and that I believe that he then, when they started production of the movie, or pre-production, I should say, he handed all that research that he did over to the production design people. Yeah, even like the be like, You don't even cafe. have to look it up. It's like, here's yeah, the... Very much like the, Jim Cameron would do you know, yeah, with like, his stuff. Just he's here, got like... He had schematics of what the air, uh, what the airplane hangers, how big they were, like the yeah. dimensions and all that stuff, all the planes. The old, he just handed uh, that over. He said, here you go. Like, I already did all this The Bulldog research. Cafe, yeah. And it was all... So they basically just like you Used his stuff as you know production design work, and that was how they were able to like just, and that's how I guess everything kind of transitions or transcends so well into the visual art that it just looks so. And then he was also very, which I think is a credit to him. He was so hands on about it because yeah. we know we've talked about this thousands of times on this cast that like a lot of times a studio will take the movie and completely bastardize it unless yeah. you're not, you know, really trying to you know hold your put your foot down and keep the original intentions and luckily they begrudgingly allowed him to be there but they weren't happy that he was yeah. so involved but and i do think that p and uh the two guys that wrote the script uh for the movie danny bilson and uh paul DeMeo, i think they ultimately kind of felt like as much control as much help as dave stevens was there was still a lot of elements of their script that got kind of bastardized for Disney, but we can get into that as we yeah. get into like this kind of nightmare well, it's, it's, of development. Yeah, now. it's hard because I guess you know when you get it to Disney, it's a great idea. Like I love Disney, but it's hard because you know Disney's at the end of the day, Disney 
liked the idea because they wanted to be able to sell merchandise. Yeah. And we get back to that same thing where we talked about on the Transformers cast, the Ninja Turtles cast, the Batman cast. Yeah, yeah. It's all about selling toys to kids, market marketability. So they saw this product in the mid-'80s. They, they end up optioning well, it. Well, before that, like I said, Stevens always kind of thought of this as a movie. Ended up selling the option to the director, Steve Miner. Yeah. Now, Steve Miner is known by horror fans because he uh, was basically a protege of Sean Cunningham, and he I believe he directed Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3. Oh, wow, okay. I think he directed the House movies, or at least the first one. Um, and then he ended up going on. He directed Halloween H2O many years later and Lake Placid, which was kind of a hit. Uh, and then in the 80s, he did a lot of other stuff like Soul Man <laughs> with C. Thomas Howe. Nice. Uh and then over the years, has directed lots of television. Yeah, but he loved the property, and he bought the option to make that into a movie. And then I don't know if the option just ran out because of time wise, or if the project he—I don't know how it works legally, or the pro- or the broad, or that like he developed it so far away that, from I the think actual that's what property that, that it reverted. He did something because a lot of times when you have this option, if you're paying or it's free, you, there's a parameter that's set in the contract that you have to keep it around. You yeah. know, you can't make, you know, I don't know, Indiana Jones suddenly be like, uh, you know, an astronaut or something yeah. crazy. So you have to keep it, you know, I'm sure they give you kind of a wide, or maybe a narrow scope, I don't know. And then I guess maybe his his development or his take on it was so uh, obtuse from the original yeah. concept that reverted back to Dave Stevens. I mean, Dave Stevens gotten so popular in the, he was, this was certainly an independent uh, comic coming out. And it just took off like wildfire. So a lot of people within the industry and I think fans of yeah. comics at the time had saw and picked but up But obviously on it. it never reached the kind of popularity that yeah. you know, the, big, the big ones did. And that's one of the reasons why the movie just uh, unfortunately was not a big success. But it had its fan base. And Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo were big fans the of writers, it. Yeah. And the writers, yeah. The guys that eventually wrote the script. And they approached Dave Stevens. And he said, well, you know, Steve Miner has the option i've sold the option and uh but in talking to them and he loved their take on it he re- they really understood and, but what, like you said what, stevens always since he put this on the page and released it first as a comic his goal was to make a movie yeah he always had the idea it wasn't like someone came to him and they're like oh that's a good idea like you said he envisioned it as a movie when he did it he he certainly when you look at the original artwork it looks like a movie he's yeah. certainly using movie elements like the rondo hatton and, and you know howard hughes or whatever the, the the huge elaborate set pieces that really translate to a movie so he had his mind on making it a movie and he liked uh bilson and demeo he they understood it they understood like the 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 pulp serial feel to it the the time of the era those two guys joke around that they you know they were always nostalgic for their Parents' childhood, yeah. not their own. Which, which we've la- we we learned, we kind of learned uh, subconsciously. Last cast on the Grease cast, we're kind of the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're kind of nostalgic for our parents' nostalgic childhood because we watched the reruns of their childhood on television. And so when the option kind of reverted back to Stevens, Stevens gave them the option for free because th- I think he for, knew for them to write a script because he he knew that they he believed in them. He believed their vision for it. Yeah. Um. And then they wrote a script. The original intention was they were going to try to do a very independent, uh, like an independently funded movie, maybe even in black and white. And uh, so they were developing it for that. And then they ended up uh, meeting with, uh, was it William Deere? I think so. Who, uh, who's been on this podcast because I think he directed Harry and Henderson's. Yeah. And he was really into it. And they started to develop a script to, 
to a story together. And then they started shopping it around to all kinds of studios because with when William Deere came on board, it be, I think it became a little bit bigger than what they originally and I were think thinking about doing. In, in these preliminary preliminary areas, that's when they start um, fleshing out the climax being on a Nazi Zeppelin, as well as they realized that I think at the time uh, a lot of people won't know it, but to Dave Stevens' credit, he's the one that really put back into the to, to the to the zeitgeist for America um, Petty Page, who had been all but forgotten. Yeah, and he kind of brought her image and and kind of aided in her popularity culminating in the late 80s into 90s and then I guess he was such a fan of hers he realized I don't know I forgot how that she lived near him so he kind of um, uh, started sparked a friendship between the two well he ended up it was my understanding you're talking about Stevens right Stevens yeah I think because it ends up being that, that in this when we're talking about these these script revisions that they realize they, that she won't allow them to use her likeness in the film so that's when they change it from Betty to Jenny. Well, you know, yeah, well, yeah, I hear. You know, there's also I fear I feel that I've I've read that there's other reasons. Well, they also wanted to make that. it more fr- family friendly well, as well. Disney did, but that. she didn't want to sign off on her, you know, on her image being in it. So they because I heard that like the story I heard or read was that it was sometime later Stevens ended up really regretting the fact that he used Betty Page, not because he didn't want to use it, but that he felt bad that he used her likeness in the comic book and stuff. And that he eventually contacted her brother is the story I read and said, look, I did this. I don't know if she even knows about it. I don't, and I don't know what kind of financial shape she's in, but I would like to send her money. Yeah. Um, Almost like giving her kind of a royalty for yeah, her likeness. Like, yeah. Like, you that's, know. that's what we talked about. The, the, the if you guys are a fan of this movie, please go seek out the Dave Stevens original comics. I mean, they're they're online. They're very available. They're not very long. And just the art is amazing. And it's just like a testament, like how he draws Betty Page. It's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. And like we said, Rondo Hatton and all just his artistry is just so on point. And that's why I guess you're saying he kind of felt bad. Yeah. That he was like, he's basically, you know, kind of... Um, Used her likeness and she wasn't profiting from yeah. it. So eventually, as my understanding that he... I contacted he, her family and was like, this is what I did, and I would like to send her, you know, basically royalties And I think he it. went one step further with her, and he also helped her and secure, then, like, yeah. uh, royalties for all the stuff she did back in the 40s and 50s that she was no longer getting royalties for yeah, yeah. now because a lot of that stuff, you know, no, but who, what's a royalty back then? Yeah. So I think she started maybe receiving some sort of monetary... Yeah, I think, like, after you know, that initial, like, calling of her family or her brother then I think you're right. Maybe he, I kind of recall that he may have then started up like a friendship yeah. with her directly. And But well, like, and, but as we talk about, again, uh, I, I hate how we keep referencing other podcasts, but we, we kind of go over a lot of this ground where like uh, we talk about maybe in the Batman cast uh, and maybe the Tarzan, but in like the mid eighties, nobody was thinking comic book movies. Yeah. Yeah, that was, they were too expensive and people were like, why would you want to do a comic book movie? Well, why would you want to do a, period comic movie why don't you put it a like a period you know, comic book movie and a comic book based on a property that really is anybody really anybody that doesn't read comics and some people that do read comics don't know what don't yeah. know i mean i mean and, we had a hard enough time they're trying to superman came out granted but they were in development hell getting spider-man out they were in batman development, hell was in development for 10 years yeah batman doesn't come out to 89 and dick tracy doesn't come out to 1990 and dick tracy was in development hell in the mid 80s too or from the early 80s so all these really uh, huge pillars in the comic book or uh, comic strip or 
uh, serial industry were having yeah. all their own problems just getting out. A little independent, you know, uh, character like the Rocketeer. So, dear Stevens, dear Bilson and DeMeo go and shop this property around because, like we said, it started when Deer came aboard. It became much a bigger, a bigger idea, yeah. more ambitious than what's going to be color. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so they started shopping around, and basically, like everybody was turning it down. Yeah. It was it was ahead of its time in that way, you know. Like nowadays. With the success of other comic book movies, but at the time we're talking like mid eighties. Yeah, and it's weird to think about now how many they shit out a comic book movie every six months to a year. Back then, to have a movie done so um, faithfully to the source yeah. material as well, it's just. I mean, I, I'm sure if we go through the list, there were other comic book movies that came out at the time that sure. were like related to like like we said Tarzan or maybe even uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was based off a novel. But there's I'm sure there's other elements. But like to do like a a comic book pulp a real hero. superhero, yeah. Movie. Uh, uh, to to a certain yeah, extent, yeah. that was that was you know uh, very uh, rare. So Disney ends up liking the script, liking the idea. They pick it up, and their the initial intention is that they're going to release it on their as a touchstone. Yeah, the touchstone because they've developed touchstone in the eighties after the all the the Disney movies they did in the seventies. They got a little too racy. We talk about that in the Black Hole uh, Disney podcast where they were going a little down a wrong way. Yeah. And they're like, you know, if we make another company, we can call it Touchstone. We can do a little more racier yeah, stuff. Yeah, like it's going to be Hooch more and, adult. You know? Yeah, not like we're not talking like hard R, but, but we're I, talking about like but they may have re- also released some harder stuff. Yeah, but, but like, it was uh, not as quite as vanilla and family you know, friendly. Like again, not as Roger sweet Rabbit as, comes out as under Touchstone. A lot know. of stuff comes out under Touchstone as opposed to like. Like Disney, like, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is pure Disney. Yeah. Like Disney presents, you know. So that was their original intention is to put this out under touch. Because the script was slightly more adult. Yeah. I mean, it had, you know, the sexual stuff, you know, in terms of like the Betty Page. She's a nude model. She's, She's not a film extra, you know, and you have a lot of other things going on. It's a little darker, you know. And so they were going to release that Christ and everybody was all psyched. But then Disney, somebody at Disney says, you know. We could maybe fran- we could maybe uh and make a lot of money off we this. We could thing. make yeah, but uh what's the toys, uh, the franchise toy, fran- yeah, yeah, the uh toy marketing. The toy yeah, like we could sell this shit to kids. Yeah. Like look at this. Kids will eat this up. So Disney decides that they're gonna not do it under touchstone, they're gonna do it under Disney. Yeah. So and then more that's money. when kind of like the shit hit the fan for for some of these creative guys that are working on this. Yeah. They start um, hitting walls now with Disney yeah, this and, big monster comes in the room. Yeah, Bilson and DeMeo are are having a tough time with the script. They like the script, but they want to make it different, obviously. There's something like uh, Bilson and DeMeo, the guys who wrote this original script, they got fired and rehired like five times over three years yeah. because they went a different angle, so they bring in another writer, but then they realize that the other writer doesn't get it, and so they have to bring him back, and they keep on and doing you this. you think about this journey, everybody, where it's like you have a script, you put so much time and effort in the script, and then the company's like, we don't like it. We're going to f- let you go. We're going to take what you've been working on, which is your baby, give it to somebody else. That person takes a year to write a script. They come back. It's shit. And then it goes to maybe a third person's hands, and then finally it reverts back to you, yeah, and, they're and t- then you're doing the same thing. You yeah. know, like, this is what I you're, told you two years you're ago. You're putting back stuff that was taken out two years earlier it's it becomes you know this bit of you know development hell and such a long process and william deer backs out yeah he's like i want to go make a a sasquatch okay (laughs) i got sasquatch yeah i got rick baker and john lifgow (laughs) to go to go do and he goes and makes harry and henderson's like 88 or 87 and uh 
So And Disney's like, hey, first Disney's like, you know what, we want to make it in modern times. And Dave Stevens like, no, you got to put it in there. Like, why would people want to go see a period uh, superhero movie? They're like, duh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like, like good point. So yeah, basically like, okay, Stevens and... Uh, and Bilson and DeMeo were like, uh, they basically, the success of Indiana Jones is what, it's what allows them to do it. And the period. Um, your, your other company, what's the little company that put out um, uh, Invasion USA? Oh. Uh, They're putting so, out quarter main movies. You know, they were doing, yeah, they yeah. were doing those and Firewalker. So you had like niche, you know, uh, adventure type movies that were making money. Um uh, not Orion. I forget the damn name of those. The, the, the is it Canon? Canon. It's Canon. New Line yeah. was also putting out a lot of stuff. Then. So you have like a lot of these. You know that that they're they they're, they're pointing to these movies and they're like, see, these movies are making money, but you got to so really. They're do like, it right. yeah, okay, okay, all right, all right. Uh, but then you have now they're getting to like conceptual designs and yeah. they're, they're talking about like suits and they're talking about how they want them to look and and of course they can't leave a good thing alone so <laughs> they can't look make something that looks fucking awesome yeah they have stay to just, awesome they just have and to michael eisner who's running disney at the time says he wants it to look more like a nasa helmet yeah well the first day they want to take they want to throw everything adult out about it we want to sell this to kids so gone is betty page uh if she was if Betty didn't want to give her name for the rights or because of whatever, she's no longer a nude model. Yeah, she can't, we can't have this like, we can't have her titties, you know, hanging out in her beautiful ass, you know, we're going to have her be a Hollywood extra. Fine, okay. Then it was, uh, you know, they wanted to tone down maybe the, some of the violence and uh, some of the other, you know, because they, they wanted to make it a kitty property. And then you have the idea of, for some reason, um, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, who's one of the D- Disney studio chairmen, and then uh, Michael Eisner just step in and you know what the hell they know about anything yeah. but Michael Eisner is credited in the late 80s with saving Disney you know and saving the animation well that's the other thing is that know? we need to put into perspective that we're talking this is this is being developed and coming out right in the midst of that like that Disney renaissance that crisis they had which in the we mid-80s. talk a lot about and then Flight of the Navigator and the cast. Flight of the Navigator cast. yeah we give a whole sum up of what was happening to Disney because in the late 70s if you remember they put a lot of weird after the 60s with their you know they had some great great live action movies in the 70s but you have like the rescuers you have the black cauldron you have a lot of weird the fox and the hound like good disney animated movies but not ones that people really remember off the top of their heads like the top five yeah uh, and, there were and, other, and, and there were other and it was for the first time other companies were putting out animated movies that were doing better yeah i think like the secret of nim like topped uh say the black cauldron and that was never done before the like another... american tale which i don't think was that was 87 disney. no that wasn't but they, that was doing good so you had a lot of good animation competition that was really blowing their sacks off i think even like care bears the movie did better than something you know so they're disney at the moment were like hey let's scrap this like we don't even you know maybe we should go a different route do touchstone do more movies do more yeah. live action and there's we talk about there's a great documentary um called uh, Waking, Sleeping Beauty, Waking right? Sleeping Beauty. It's about this whole era. They bring Michael Eisner in, and then he has the idea, or maybe it's him with Jeffrey Katzenberg and the other gentleman, Frank uh, Weller, uh, where they decide to, like, look, let's just take what we have and just completely try to exploit it. So that's when you have, for our childhood, you have all those afternoon cartoons, and you get, like, Gummy Bears, DuckTales, uh, Tailspin, Chip and Dale. You have all them come out, and then you have, to, to Eisner's credit, they have the great 
Sunday night Disney uh, ABC movies yeah. where he comes out as the, the showman and he he does the, the wraparounds of everyone. Which is like, what hey. Disney did back in the day. Yeah, and, and that completely puts a face on it. He's like, you know, he's like uh, in the driveway with like uh, freaking Mickey and Goofy, like, you know, cle- you know, washing the car. And he's like, hey, <laughs> what you doing? I was Roger. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to watch the, you know, the, the, the flight of the navigator, you know? And, uh, this is getting to my Eisner story was like for years. And you know, I grew up like idolizing this guy in a sense, in a, not, I, not like a Walt Disney, but it's just like, I knew him from my childhood. Yeah, I was like, he was, great. he was part of our childhood. He was the face of Disney yeah. when we were little. So, you know, I meet him at my job. He's coming on the show to do an interview and he's no longer working at Disney. And like, I'm, I'm micing him up and I'm like, Mr. Eisner, I'm not, you know, I'm such a big fan of yours. And he's like, get away from me, kid. You're bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's like, yeah, yeah, that's it's great, but I don't really care, you know. He's just you know, kind of like, yeah, I hear this all the time, and it was like such like a letdown, like, oh, I thought you were gonna be happy. Like I wasn't being like a fanny fan. Yeah, I just yeah. want to say, hey, look, growing up, I watched Sunday Night Disney. I watched a lot of those great, the you know, we talk about Mr. Boogity, Boogity. and uh, the Flight of Navigator had there, but a lot of those straight to TV movies that I'm sure we'll talk about down the road. Yeah. Disney did, and it was all because of him, and I wanted to just give him props. I was like, you know, you did it. You know, you put Disney's animation back on the map, and he wasn't really bothered. Yeah, yeah. I was like, F you, man, F you. <laughs> so that kind of upset me. So getting back to this, Eisner steps in, and Eisner's like, I want to make it a NASA helmet, or NASA-ish. He wants to make the, um, yeah. the Rocketeer's helmet, which is like just, to me, it's completely acidine. Meanwhile, <laughs> cross on town. Other, <laughs> on the other side of town... <laughs> Joe Johnston, uh, the director, he, he likes the comic book. Yeah, see, it's getting around somehow. So he contacts uh, his agent or his manager, and he says, look, I like this comic book, and I could see this being a really awesome movie. Can you inquire as to, like, if this is, if anybody owns this? <laughs> now, Joe Johnston came in and saved Honey, the, I Shrunk the Kids for Disney after... Stuart Gordon got fired. And that's his it. first movie. And uh, that's his first feature. Joe Johnston's. Joe uh, Johnston's. Johnston was a protege of George Lucas. And he started he started work on Star Wars. Like 75. Like 75. Or six. He was like 25. Right out of college. And he's he, like in the editing room with him, and isn't it? They're like they're doing like assemble edits and Lucas is having him like storyboard the pickup shots they need, right? That, that they haven't gotten in, in principle. They have to go back and reshoot. And yeah, he kind of learns, hones his craft. He that starts way. to, yeah, he becomes this real protege of Lucas and going into, and he starts to work on the special effects. He's the guy who like designs the Adat Walker. Let's stop for a minute here <laughs> and let everyone hear that and let that sit in. That he is the guy that 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 the snow, the Imperial Walkers, he designed and came up with the freaking in Empire Strikes Back, and that's like that's huge for my childhood. This guy came up with that. And even bigger is that he 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 designed Boba Fett's armor. Again, let's stop and just <laughs> let's stop and sit on that for a minute. That he designed the armor for uh, Boba Fett. So he was this like you know he was he was Camp Lucas. Yeah, and Lucas and evidently Lucas was very nice to him. Explained to him the craft. Wasn't like nasty to him. He any question. Uh, Johnston had he answered, and then doesn't Lucas then put him through college? Lucas also then pays for him to go to USC film school for a semester, and then keeps him on half salary for like a whole year. And he's like, go keeps him, pays him half salary for him to go to film school, which he's getting paid for. 
um, just because he's he believes in him. He sees that this guy's got a lot of talent. He says, you know, go to film school, make films. Yeah, I'll pay for the film school, and I'll give you half salary. I'll keep you retaining you for half salary. And then he kind of learns, and he gets out of it. And, and Johnson's like, shit, yeah. And then he gets involved with. So he does a lot of Star Wars, Wars trilogies and all kinds of stuff. You yeah, know, he works on all Lucas's produced stuff at that point. He's, uh, I think he's one of the producers on Willow maybe. And, but he also works on like Howard the Duck in some capacity, including the, you know, Indiana Jones and all this. So he's, he's a guy who's, you know, got, he's ha- getting hands-on training, yeah. especially in the special effects world. So apparently, I mean, this is another discussion for another podcast because I'm sure eventually we'll probably do Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But well, all those new names right there: <laughs> Willow, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, yeah, yeah. There, you know, those are all freaking uh, nostalgia gold. So Stuart Gordon write, writes Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and we're talking about you know Reanimator Stuart Gordon, and he's going to direct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, like from beyond Castle Freak, Stuart yeah. Gordon. And he's got to direct it. Something happens, you know, likely somebody at Disney's like, wait, who did you get to fucking direct this movie? <laughs> well, that's so weird. The guy that like, you direct, kind of directed Reanimator, yeah, you got to direct who, who this? Who adapted H.P. Lovecraft, he's going to be doing <laughs> like uh, this giant kids kids. And uh, Joe Johnson comes in, and that's his directorial debut. Now, I don't know the story, and like I said, it's a story for another cast, and we'll do more research if whenever we get around to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but it's my feeling that he didn't that Johnson did not have a good relationship with Disney during that. No, I think he had a because it's his first movie, because Disney's so hands on, they want to guarantee that this shit is gonna be done properly on schedule. There's not gonna be any kind of yeah. um tension. And if the budget for that's only like eighteen million bucks. Yeah, and which they is sh- nothing for a movie that, that that's that effects heavy. Yeah, and they shot it in Mexico because it was cheaper to shoot in Mexico, which I think they that's what also Cameron ends up doing for Titanic. They shoot that in Mexico too. So they go down there. Yeah, you like you say, you look at the uh, for eight, 1988 and it comes out eighty nine, the effects for that where there's a lot of uh, CG early CGI or, or like just double exposures yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know um, a lot of like uh, forced perspective which Disney's like real pioneering with with sure. Darby R. Gill but they um, have to build the, the lawn the, sets all, all those things know. all those huge bugs the the cereal bowls the milk the uh, you know all that kind of you know all the shit that Rick Moranis the kids so you have a lot of that uh um, you know, stress on you as a director, and then you have Disney probably breathing down your neck because they have a team of guys that sure. are there on your ass, just like you know, dotting your eyes, yeah, and, yeah. and probably like you know what, like you just replace somebody, yeah, like, we'll and this re- is your we'll, first movie, we'll, like we'll replace you yeah. in a heartbeat. So I'm sure speculating, what, but I can only imagine yeah. that's probably going on. Yeah, because you don't really have a name for yourself, and you can't really like pull like a Stanley Kubrick and be like, "F you, I'm leaving the country," you yeah, know. Yeah. So he, you you don't really have any bargaining chips. So he's able to. Maybe that's just a uh, so you know like a, a, a testament to him that he's able to keep on the project. He does it. It comes out. And it's, it's a, a great movie, success. and it's a huge success, and it, it makes him a shitload of money. But he does, was not happy with working with Disney. No, so flash time. So slash flash forward a year. He tells his agent or manager, like, find out who owns this because I think this could be something completely it, coincidental. He's like, yeah, he he says, yeah, about the Rocketeer. Yeah, Finds yeah. out who owns the rights to the Rocketeer character because that, that could be something. Look at how, what happened with Batman. That's yeah. just come out. Maybe this so thing he's, is... He, so his agent comes back. He's like, I got good news and I got bad news. Yeah. Bad news is Disney owns it. <sighs> and Johnson's like, oh, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> good news is they want to talk to you about it. Yeah. 
so then he signs on to and this is it. this is during the time when Disney is uh, almost done and they're probably in post production for Dick Tracy so they're you know Batman comes out Batman's a hit Honey I Shrunk the Kids comes out that's a hit so they know that superheroes are making money they know that Joe Johnson can what? make them money I'm having trouble remembering because I remember when we talked about Dick Tracy me yeah. thinking it was a Disney picture but it wasn't a Disney picture it's a touchstone Oh, but it's still Disney. Yeah, they, yeah, because they, they wanted to take because it's since it's a little darker with you know Madonna's, and you can see her nipples <laughs> and, and shots and stuff like that. So because of the darker yeah, racer yeah. aspects, they take off it being Walt Disney's Dick Tracy. Yeah, but it's all know, it's all it, yeah. you know. And also, I think I was looking in this. If you look at a lot of the stock cars, which are very period, I think some they probably reuse some oh, of the probably you yeah. know they just take off those uh, you know those flashy colors you know. Um, so Disney has a hit with. Uh, Dick Tracy as well so they're like let's do another kind of period now this is where uh, to me it's like uh, we're going to get really in the weeds here but for me but Dick Tracy wasn't Dick Tracy was a hit but not as big of a hit as they were hoping no I mean it wasn't it was big it was not as big as Batman but it wasn't as small as Rocket. I feel like it didn't make as much money as they were projecting so in their minds it was kind of a failure even though it was it was see that's what I wonder like I wonder if they're they end up being, you know, their heads are too big where they, they expect to, their, their expectations are so much high. Why can't they just, because they wanted to have a Dick Tracy sequel, but yeah. then they didn't. And same thing with this. This, this they signed everybody on to be a trilogy. Yeah. This was going to be three movies. So it's like, what and are even, they? You know, even in Stevens, Bilson, and DeMeo's minds, the, this was the first installment yeah, of, a, you of know, a trilogy that they already had kind of planned. Yeah, they wanted to eventually like part two of the original comic that they wanted to have then Rocketeer like go to New York and deal with stuff like that. And yeah. so it's um, it's weird because I don't know what Disney wants. I mean, you know, you have the marketing up the go- uh, up the ass. You know, Dick Tracy comes out. I remember being, you know, you know hitting like gangbusters. I loved it. It was everywhere. You know, you had the Monopoly things from, from Well, you know, McDonald's I think we and, talk about it a little bit is that they ended up putting so much money oh, into yeah. promotion for Dick Tracy. That they end up not... Uh, that they ended up really not making a whole lot of yeah. money on it because they fucking marketed the shit out of that yeah. movie. That was people, everywhere. People don't realize that, you know, don't work in the film business. And I, you know... These days, you and I work more in the television industry, so we don't really have a full grasp on it. Anyways, yeah. that like your your budget might be like this budget was twenty five million for Rocketeer, and then after seeing Daily, so oh, you know what, we'll give you another ten million or yeah. fifteen million. Yeah, that, that's so, like it looks happening. so great. Let's really fucking go for it. So let's say the budget ends up being uh, forty million dollars. Yeah. Then a company like Disney will put another forty million dollars into marketing the crap out of it. Yeah, because that's so the key now to the really like okay, you're shooting like the actual budget to make the movie was X amount of dollars, but the actual budget for the movie, the actual money spent could be twice even more than that. It's, it's amazing, and that's what I think nowadays. So like, a lot that's of these... the money that needs to get recuperated yeah. and more than anything. That's the reason why a lot of these movies end up flopping nowadays because I feel like they don't put the proper like you know promotioning into it yeah. or if they are i don't know who they're using these pr- promotional teams but they're just marketing it to the wrong people yeah so a lot of times you have like the john carter movie the disney movie that flops or you have tintin flop and it's like well who are you marketing it to where's your audience you know and yeah it's a real shame because their... that john carter movie it's not nearly as 
bad people. And as same as thing with Tintin. Tintin's like the fifth. They really just marketed the John Carter movie completely incorrectly. Had they marketed the movie that they had? Yeah, like, to it, audiences as it being it like an Edgar Rice Burroughs. This is the reason. You know, if you market it like this is this is where Pulp or this is where Indiana yeah. Jones came out of. You know, they they just named it John Carter, not John Carter for Mars. They should have it be like and then again like Tintin. It's like you know Hergate, great property, but they don't market it right. And that was just like an homage to all the Indiana Jones, and it was so good. And it's just like so I don't know where their heads are because sometimes they put all They're this up money. Their ass. <laughs> Yeah, up their noses with a rubber hoses. It's like that they, they put all this money into it, and then other times they don't. Yeah. So then they then they're looking at themselves, or they're blaming the filmmaker of the movie about that. Then it's like I don't know what, what you expect. So, yeah, Dick Tracy doesn't get a sequel. This ultimately doesn't get a sequel. Yeah. The Rocketeer. So it's a shame. And uh, I don't. So maybe they're just looking. It's weird because if they're looking at like Batman as their standard. Can you ever hit? I mean, I guess you could. Well, that's the thing is, I think they're or Superman. They're putting their eggs in a basket that Batman is is in a different basket. Yeah. You know, that Batman is. It has an inherent audience coming yeah. to it, and it has a, a recognizability as a character and a property that Rocketeer and even circa nineteen ninety Dick Tracy didn't no. really have. Yeah. I mean, Dick Tracy was still in the Sunday morning comics, but yeah, and and. Uh, Max Allen Collins was doing great stuff with comic books for Dick Tracy, but it it, it was it, yeah it was seen every day in the comics. You know, I was reading that along with Garfield at the time, but you didn't have the last time you saw it on television as a cartoon or whatever. I mean, you, they did like you know live action serials in the fifties or forties. Then you had a cartoon in the late fifties, early sixties. To me, it was like rubbish. It's just like, but this doesn't have the. It does, kind of falls out of the, the visual. You know, uh, you know, just the recognizability of, of Batman. Yeah, you know, Batman had been around one in the comics for thirty years before it was a hit TV show yeah. for a couple of years. They and had then, the hit live action TV show, like you just said. And then it was after that, it was in cartoons on Saturday cartoons mornings. Cartoons on Saturday mornings. You got the Super Friends. You, you know, had the Amazing up Friends. On yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you know, Batman was around. There. You know, it's everybody's. Yeah, everybody's doing. You know, and then Adam West is doing appearances on those like weird roasts in the late seventies. So Batman's and then there. the Batman show by the eighties. The the sixty six Batman show is then they rerun it because yeah because Batman the movies you know like we grew up watching the crap out of that show so when they come to the Rocketeer it's harder for them to realize that this is not although this is paying homage to all that this is not a character from then so it's just like the 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 movie that ended up flopping that Sky Captain's movie it's like you know I mean I I mean I thought that movie was okay but I thought we got a little bit ahead of ourselves we haven't even the movie hasn't even made yet we're talking about (laughs) so well let's get get back we get we get Michael Eisner he's um he's he's now Disney wants to do everything Disney wants to take all the they want to make um you know Jenny a little more believable so they don't want to have a cliche like where she's a damn damsel in distress for that stereotype so they want to rework the script uh like we said that the um and then they come back and they don't want to they want to start mucking around with his actual look it's like taking the skull off of the punisher or or taking the uh batman logo off of the 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 ears off the batman (laughs) yeah yeah They, they suddenly say i don't want the signature helmet it doesn't look right Let's make it a little more like NASA-ish, which is yeah. absurd to me because the whole point of this, it's which we haven't mentioned yet, Art Deco plays yeah. a huge part in this movie, in Batman, certain to extent in Dick Tracy, and to me, The Rocketeer is just like an, a, a beautiful, beautiful rendering of the era of Art Deco, and sure. just that, and look at that helmet, look at that outfit, look at that rocket pack. Luckily, I think you know probably Johnson's the one that was like, yeah, let's the director, try yeah. to get a little bit closer to what we got. We have a great 
like image. Like, why mess with it? So they go through lots of different helmets, uh, designs, and all of them, it's like basically Stevens is telling Johnston, like, yeah, this is not it. So finally... Well, they uh, finally, I guess, convinced you know, Eisner and um, Katzenberg, like, no, we can't do the NASA type thing. It's going to look silly. You're going to look more like the you know, Rocket Man or the, the um, uh, Commander Cody. You know, we want to yeah. kind of stray away from that. Let's make it like, you know, we have gold here. So finally, they end up molding a crap load of helmets and then Stevens is on hand for the pre-production and, and even as much as they want to. They have like this great look of the comic book. I mean, why they would want to screw with it, I, I don't know, but <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And I, I kind of feel like it had to be Johnston that was like, no, we have something really cool here. And like, yeah. I think, you know, we were just talking about... Him with Stevens kind of just then holding it together and maybe they were finally able to persuade, luckily, uh, Disney to be like, all right, they kind of backed off a little bit. You know, they... And the guns away. Yeah, and like kind of what I was getting at was there were, they went through many different designs of the helmet. They had sculptors designing all these helmets, but it was Stevens that was always like, it's not quite right. Yeah. So finally he said to Johnston, he's like, let me go off with a friend of mine who's a sculptor and let me do it like over the weekend and I'll bring you back what the helmet's going to be. And lo and behold, he brought back, they took a sculpt of the, the main stuntman's head so that they could get the, you know, the size then they went and then they did this sculptor sculpture and he came back and that's what it ended up being they wanted to make sure like from every angle that it nailed the comic book the and i think it's, it. it's if you look at the original comic it's it's almost seamless you know how it looks to the thing i mean like we said the entire outfit uh is completely representative of the comic the only difference is the just the augmentation of the the, the rocket pack which i think still looks awesome yeah i think the rocket pack looks awesome too you know i mean it's 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 pretty sweet and um so, and then the, the, the movie deals, the, I like the whole idea of the air racing aspect. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I've seen, have you seen nowadays, um, I see sometimes like I'll catch on like ESPN or, PN or something where it's like Red Bull is like hosting these, you know, they have these crazy air races still nowadays. I mean, how do you get into that? But they'll have like um, in New York Harbor or I've seen in San Francisco Bay, yeah. they'll have these big pylons set up and then you have these freaking planes going around them and it's like, that's such a cool, forgotten, freaking, um, you know, like, uh, hobby to have. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's really obscure. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like as a kid, I might not have totally understood yeah, I mean, what it was that was going on or going to nationals or whatever. Like, not really understanding because, I don't know, it wasn't something that at least I was aware of as a kid that there were like these that you would race planes it's it's unbelievable through, like obstacle courses basically You're going around and around and around and um it's you know i mean certainly like you know you make anything into a sport back then because you know you you can have the technology there was no tv yeah you need to have some sort of form of entertainment so why not put guys in rockets and fly them around you know i ended up all part of the show it's all part of the show oh you know we didn't even say that 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 he just passed away uh, uh, like now, two well, weeks I ago. Figured we were going to be yeah, transitioning we're gonna get into, into the cast. So, um, yeah, so I, it, I like that they had all the uh, the real planes and stuff from the era that we can get into a little later. That, that oh, yeah, like, I mean, you know, look, it's beautiful. I mean, the, the way... Like, I'm always shocked that they had a little bit with that the car that your parents had. Oh, the... Um, uh, they had the... Uh, what oh, was that called? The uh, uh, the Chrysler, the, the Hemi. The, not the Hemi, the 500, the other one. The uh, crap, I don't remember the name of it. But it was like, you know, a little bit retro. Yeah, yeah. I'm always shocked that like more companies don't do that. Like come out with a car that looks 
completely. Well, they started look, to do it. Look, with, looks almost completely like the old stuff, but with like the new technology. They're starting. They look so awesome. Like why they keep dishing out like, you know, these fucking four door sedans or 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 whatever that look like every other car when you could. Put out a car like you know that looks exactly like it did in the '30s, but has like all the technology they, and the they, engine of today. There's a couple companies that still do that. There's um, oh, there's there's a English, but they're always like like Bugattis or something. They're very yeah, expensive. Yeah. These high end cars. There's like there's a car company in England that that makes a car that looks exactly like it's from the '30s, but it's brand new. And you know you're talking shitloads of freaking yeah, money. Yeah. Um, but there's some of the they've realized now the designers that they um. You know, like they they re uh, imagined the Challenger or the Mustang or yeah, even yeah. the Charger, and they kind of go back to the older designs and like you know re up them or a car that's been discontinued they bring back, but like to have that actual style where the the damn car my parents had, which I can't what think was of the that name called. of called. The, the, it was a big uh, deal when that car came out. I was driving around with that car, and uh, I remember like my father he knew the dealer. So he got, he was one of the first people to get the car in the town. Like he got on the top of the list. So I took that for a, a test spin, like when they got it. And I had people like, I remember driving on the street and the guy was like watering his lawn. He stopped and like gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And I was driving around in the car. It was the old, uh, it wasn't the what Chrysler was, 300. It was, was the, um, it had a name. Uh, the Chrysler PT Cruiser. No, oh, the Cruiser. There yeah, there was yeah, the yeah. PT Cruiser. They had it in a, the like metallic silver. Yeah, and yeah. I remember, that, remember we ended up using it in my senior film. And when you look at it now, uh, it's so funny because it doesn't. It's just it looks like a cool car. But back then it was so revolutionary in the late nineties or. 2000, 2001. Yeah. It was just, it was so ahead of its time. And you look at it now, it's like, oh, okay, it's kind of commonplace. But I remember it was like such an impact when that thing came out. It was so Art Deco. It was very bold for them to do. Yeah. And like I said, my dad got it like right off the showroom lot. And I remember just driving around with it. And everyone was just like, you know, like, oh my God, they were actually stopping and looking at the car. I just feel like back in the day, you know, we're talking about, you know, this movie takes place and the comic book takes place like in the mid to late 30s, like late, like 38 ish or whatever. October 1930. And uh, I just feel like there was, I don't know, there was like, I don't know, and I might just make it, be making this up completely, but it seems to me that there was like more pride taken in design. Yeah, there you was, know? there like was. It was like, yeah, it's, I think it's more, it really it's was the American ingenuity. More you know? of an art. Yeah, it. I mean, prior to, you know, prior. And back then, I'm sure they looked at these things and thought, oh, like, well, like what, to, the way we think of cars today. What happens maybe, is but. you take you take the car industry. I mean, prior to the war, you know, everything was streamlining. They're trying to, you know, in the Art Deco and certainly the styles at the time were influencing the, the aesthetics of the car. And then uh, they were trying to, you know, make it faster they weren't really concerned yet about safety and then they stopped making vehicles during world war ii and then you then you, you in the late 40s they started manufacturing new ones then when you get into the 50s they start to realize oh we need safety so then that's when they start putting seatbelts optional or whatever and what happens with the cars is they're still able to follow the dreams of the designers into the 60s where you have those amazing cadillacs with the fins and all yeah. that but then when you hit like the late 60s they suddenly realize with size when you hit like the era of the gas crisis with the oil sure. and everyone in the 70s starts lining up for gas for a period of time that's when the car companies realize like that's when you get like gas guzzlers and the size of the car matters and they're like shit so that kind of peaks right in the early to mid 70s and then everything since then was then they kind of kicked out the 
idea of doing whatever you want design-wise or stylistic-wise, where it sort of become affordability. How do you make the car uh, fuel efficient? How do you make the car lighter? How do you make the car smaller? How do you make yeah. the car a little more streamlined? So then you start losing, and then that 30 years on, now we have these cars that are pieces of plastic that have no style. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I was just saying that to my wife. You know, you bump our car, like the old cars, you could take a tree down. These, this, you bump it as plastic, you ruin, half the car gets ruined. And then, yeah. you know, it's like, there's no give on these, you know, you're driving plastic around, yeah. which is hilarious. But back then it was much more, I mean, you had people like, uh, not Frank Lloyd Wright, but you had like really mainstream, the people designing, crossing over and doing, you know, these great, great things. So I think you're right. Back then there was so much more pride because it was also kind of a new industry, designing yeah. planes, designing well, locomotives were kind of still but the that, standard. I, you know, but that's why like a movie like this or Dick Tracy or the Indiana Jones movies, which don't take place I mean, you have a, so much in like an urban setting. But um, like this is Dick Tracy. And though, you know, we talk a lot about like the color scheme and stuff for Dick Tracy, but they're so beautiful to look at. I know, just the aesthetics. I mean, there's a designer for anybody who's into this. There's an industrial designer named Henry Dreyfus, and I absolutely love him. Nobody knows who he is. Uh, his books are out of print, but if you go look up Henry Dreyfus, he literally is the guy that we owe like how everything looks nowadays. Like he was this person who designed like um, the phones we grew up on, like the rotary phone or yeah. like the baby princess phone where you pick it up out of the cradle that girls yeah. had. He designed that on the wall, the um, thermostat. Yeah. You know how long that took them to realize how to design a thermostat that was round that you can turn? He designed that. He designed John Deere tractors. He designed uh, how locomotives. He was the guy. It's an also a weird thing where, like, uh, in the uh, you know in the 30s, everybody or the 20s, 30s, 40s, everybody was like looking at the automobile. Or, I'm sorry, the automotive as like technology. Yeah. So that's why you have your vacuums kind of looking like like you know trains, like how they look. Sure. Then in the 50s, when it's all like we're suddenly going to go to space and Sputnik, yeah. then you're you're it's weird. Your your vacuums start to look like you know like you know there's a, like a little here an attachment. It's not they look weird. Yeah. So there's like all these designs, and the reason I bring it up is that like you have a guy like Henry Dreyfus who was doing everything. He had like he was. He was redesigning people's houses. He was designing products that we know and love, or he was even doing, you know, like designs for trains or cars or airplanes. And it's just like, these are unsung heroes, unless you're, you know, like an industrial designer in the industry. But uh, anybody, I wholeheartedly recommend go read up on Henry Dreyfus and the achievements that he did that, that we see every day, even now in our lives. But it's like, it's so cool back then, people took pride in it. Yeah. Where nowadays, I don't think everything's outsourced. It's maybe not American made. If it's outsourced to another country, it's made cheaply because the other big elephant in the room here is, since we're on this topic, is like planned obsolescence. Where like in the old days, you can buy a fridge or a TV. I mean, you can have a TV now that was like from the, like those old wooden cabinet models. They would still work. You know, yeah, they were yeah. designed to last you. A fridge was designed to last you. The mate, that was the joke about the Maytag repairman. But now they realize when they would do that, like Sears, like shit, no one's buying anything anymore because they've bought one and they don't need another. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. then, you know, they started building things with the idea of planned obsolescence in mind where they, it, would, it would go off in a couple of years. Like look at you and I, when we got out of college and we moved in together, uh, our landlord at the time bought a new fridge. And remember that fridge shit to bed in a year. We got home on a weekend and remember all our food went off and it was like, yeah. The fridge was brand new, but it's just like nothing's made to last. Look at our phones. They, they're not made to last because they know they want you to go out and buy it again. Or TVs, you know, they're made yeah. in China. You pick them up, they don't even feel like they're real. It's because they're made because, you know, they know that in a year or two, like a computer, they're going to be out of date and you're going to want a new one. So it's just, I hate that about the industry now. That yeah, they, yeah. they don't design things to last. And if they do design something to last, it's going to be a shitload of freaking money 
You know, I don't even know if, if you have all the money in the world, is there a TV that they've manufactured that's made the last? I don't think so. It's just like, you know, it's only certain things. Yeah. So it's sad that the industry of design has turned into them just making things purposely that are going to eventually die so that they can get your money to go back and get a new one. Yeah. You know, even if you don't want to update the technology. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, they set this movie at a time where aesthetically... No, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's so like Americana. Of the, time. the planes are, are beautiful. The cars are great. The outfits are sleek. Yeah, I mean, all that it, stuff. His leather jacket is awesome. His, his, <laughs> I remember one, one of those so yeah, bad. I mean, those things, it's like, it's like the Harley, you know, even he's driving like an, an early model uh, Harley Davidson, and that's where the leather jacket comes into play, and him being like a, uh, he's got a, the, the, the character of Cliff has got an interesting history, because he grew up in, uh, he was born in Detroit, uh, and he was a carny, and then, um, the Carney kind of broke up, and when the Depression hit, the character of Cliff Secord, yeah. he, uh, to make money, he, was, he, he started flying, and um, then he kind of made his way over to L.A. to try to fly there, and he did one movie, and he didn't get along with the, the director or whatever, knocked the guy out, and then he kind of got onto the syndicate of doing these fly racing things, because that was big at the time, and... Uh, you know, he, uh, there's a whole big thing about the the GBZ. He he flies in it, and th- that's this short plane. That's a real plane, and they used to call it like a widowmaker or a flying coffin because basically that was made to race. And all it is is just a, a seat with wings and an engine. Yeah. And uh, they call it the widowmaker or the coffin, flying coffin, because it was so dangerous to drive. There was a gentleman who used to um, who would drive it uh, that he would not wear shoes because he needed to feel the pedals that much better the nuances of it and it was uh called the gb racer because it was developed by uh this company named um granville brothers so that's where you get the gb granville brothers aircraft company and then uh it went on james doolittle who historians know for the uh he's the guy who did the, ended up being the doolittle raid that that after pearl harbor we went in, in 42 and we bombed tokyo he yeah. was part of the doolittle raid he raced this gb2 in the 30s and he won the 1932 thompson trophy flying the gb uh and he uh his speed for flying it was 252.686 miles per hour he, he achieved in the thing and the star who was driving the gb ended up dying and trying to do like a, in like the early 30s trying to like break a record i think like in 31 but like you're right there was this weird era where they were flying all these types of planes and all yeah. these like really cool freaking well, you things you gotta feel like you gotta put i mean i mean know. there was no basis of reality too because the sky was the limit you didn't know what you could achieve for you know the next step was in the 50s was yeah, talking I mean, about it was, setting this eye on the stars i mean you know? comparatively it was still a new Somewhat I mean, it was only 30 years old. I mean, you think about <laughs> us, 30 years ago was the 80s, right? Yeah. So 30 years ago in 1938 was still like 1909, so that's the end of the Industrial Revolution. So this, still the big thing on the scene are like locomotives and transatlantic cruises. Where yeah. In the old days, it, it was the adventure was getting there. So it didn't, you know, you get into a plane now, we fly, we can be in England in eight hours, where you take a transatlantic cruise, it would take like a week. You yeah. know, so it's like you think of the mindset back then, and then suddenly with the Industrial Revolution, to have the car, to have the radio, to have the uh, the I was going to say Vodafone, the, the the record player, to have uh, then the airplane, biplane, and then it's just, and you think of how dangerous these things are. You think about the the the, the combat pilots in World War One, what they were doing with biplanes, yeah, and yeah. like you know the the Red Baron and stuff, and then into the late. 
20s into the 30s with passenger planes, and then you have these guys doing these racings. I mean, you need balls of steel because there's no... I mean, you're lucky if you have a seatbelt or a helmet, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you're just in the most uncomfortable... I don't know if you've ever gotten into anything relatively to this, but if you've gotten into like an old even an old car, yeah. those things are not comfortable at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's amazing to think that like they were really dreamers and they were really achieving, you know, they didn't know what the the sky was the limit to them, probably till like the late 60s. So, I mean, it's the perfect dra- backdrop for something like this. For a, for a character that's like a, such an adventurer. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's, and like this like pseudo science fiction. Oh, yeah. Jetpack, you know, it's... Yeah, Howard so, Hughes ish yeah. is on the scene. You know, what I so, mean, so I mean, you know, before we get into a lot of lot of, lot of ground to cover here. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, we have Cliff Secord. You just gave kind of his background from the comic book. In the movie, we just know him as a pilot who uh, a little upset uh, about life, where he's doing he frustrated. Wants to, he wants to, he, he, you know, they're trying to get the. We open up their test testing the, the, the plane GB. that they that they just got because he's going to take that to nationals as a racer he loves and speed and he in loves the comic book there's a whole backstory about that gb where it killed somebody else and they got it from detroit here and they just finished like remodeling it and that's where the movie takes place where it's like it's the maiden voyage we just fixed the fucker up we put all the money we had into it take it up for see how you like it if there's anything like our um alan arkin says you know anything you need us to modify and then the, the the plot unfolds. Yeah. Should we talk about casting before us? Well, I just think in a nutshell the story. Yeah. Because then we can fill in the, like who's playing who. So we have the Cliffsy Chord. Uh, we have his kind of like uh, father mechanic character played yeah. by Alan Arkin here. Yeah, the great Alan Arkin. PV he plays. Uh, he's got a girlfriend, Jenny. We discussed how in the comic book it's Betty Page kind of. And she's a nude model, but in the movie she's in a, this, an this, extra. They kind of tamed down her sexuality a little bit. Or did her, they? <laughs> <laughs> made a, made a, uh, her a kind of a, a Hollywood contract like uh, extra player, and uh, we're set in the late thirties. Yeah, uh, October thirty-eight, right before the the the, the war. I mean. Hitler takes Poland in 39, so it's interesting at the time where, you know, in 36 we had the Olympics, and it was very much where there's a tension against Germany, but Germany's still, for the most part, being friendly. They're showing aggressions in Europe, uh, but we still have, you know, the Zeppelins are still flying over, which people don't understand, branding Nazi swastikas on them, uh, and people are okay with it. And then we have, I think it's 36 or 37, the Zeppelin disaster in the airfield in New Jersey where it blows up, yeah. and that had, a, that had a Nazi swastika in it. So at the time, we're friendly and we're, we're cool with the Germans but it's almost like, I wouldn't say what it's now with how we are with Vladimir Putin, but it's kind of like, there's a little tension there. But it's a great era because it's like, you know, you know in a year or two we're going to get into a war. But, you know, it's, it's the depressions kind of, people are, you know, hungry because the Dust Bowl and people need money. And then you have these people doing things like Cliff Secord where he's barely able to make any money. He wants to be able to make a, uh, you know, what do they call that? Like a proper woman out of his girlfriend or make her a... Um, you know, he wants. He's worried about all the um, the uh, people and you know the the competition that like he's a nobody, but then she's around all these Hollywood types, these uh, yeah, Neville yeah. Sinclairs of the day. Sure. You know, and he's worried that they're gonna you know, and that's what also from the comic book that you know she's a nude model and she's being pictures being taken by these sleazy photographers that could be trying to like yeah. get some from her. So there's that tension there where he wants to make some money to that be able and to. He's just not. He's also just not sensitive to her. Uh, goals. Yeah, because he has a dream and like, yeah, you're right, he's kind of blind, he's blinders on about him. It's like, I want to, you know, it's, and you that's... Know, to him, it's like, you're just back, right? You're, you're, you know, you're just set. Yeah, you're just, not doing you anything. Know, you're like a prop in this. Whereas like her, this is important to her. Um, then we have 
uh, elaborate plot involving um, this jetpack that was stolen that we don't find out who who it was stolen from until later in the picture. Uh, we have the mob, we have the feds, <laughs> the FBI are chasing them. Big, uh, you know, car chase, gunfight. Got the Tommy guns out. They stashed the the jetpack, the jetpack, and in, into uh, Cliff and one and of their PVs. cars, other planes, and then and they discover planes. it. And that's kind of like and they discover it, and they're trying to figure out what it is. And that's what's the kind of beautiful about this movie yeah. to me is that. And I think maybe one of the reasons why maybe it didn't connect so well is that we have like kind of an everyman thrust into this and so like the action scenes aren't as polished as say you know you don't have Jackie Chan or you know oh because he's still kind of like bumbling he's he's a regular guy he's not quite like an Indiana Jones he's like a guy trying to like you know find his way he's a he's a certainly comparable in the physicality you know of when he punches somebody they don't know they don't really they don't go down yeah I mean, he's kind of like know, he, you know he's yeah he's still he's he's certainly the type of man who can has the procliv- proclivity to do this he's not like rick moranis running yeah, around yeah. but it, but it's still all new to him so he's kind of like very like but so there's this whoa, the, a, lot, bumbling, of, a you know? lot of this movie is like this learning curve yeah they have to discover what the what the thing is they go to test it out on the on that statue. They don't realize that they have there's a there's a uh, like you like there's a clock because there's so many people you know the, the, the gangsters want it, the feds want it back. We realize that the Nazis are after it, so you have all these and they don't know where it is, and then they're trying to figure it out, and they're like, this is this will be great for our act. Everybody's looking for it, and then they these two average Joes have it. Yeah. Uh, luckily, you know he's a talented pilot. He has the the passion for flight and speed, and so it's like it kind of lands in the perfect hands. And PV is kind of the perfect yeah he's like mechanic a, to make yeah. it work because it's the bugs aren't out of it. You know, even you know they're still working on it, and it's PV who's like he you know corrects the well, he he makes a schematic by looking at it. He completely makes a schematic of what it looks like and then later on in the movie when we find out that it's Howard Hughes's and he's hanging out with Howard Hughes he's showing Howard Hughes why well, I fix this by just fixing the yeah, manifold yeah. and it's like he's PV's one of these guys that you could probably you know he can probably figure out how to take anything apart and put it back together and then make it better at anything you know uh, grease monkey wise yeah, you know yeah. and I think you know uh, we have to leave time to talk about you know our personal passion and 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 love for this movie and when we saw it and stuff but you know since you bring up the kind of the blueprints now like i was so into this movie that for some reason my mom had bought me like this big pad of like uh graph paper yeah and we should always we should put in that you and i oddly how we met we had so many things in common music wise film wise but we also which we never really talk about you and i we had a big passion for drawing when we were little yeah and you and i used to always draw which i have to sadly say that i've kind of fallen by the wayside as i got into college i don't draw as much but that was a huge i mean that was almost a time where my parents like do you want to go to try to go to school to be a comic book artist you know yeah and i was really into that and you had the same kind of passion so when we got to college i think you and i geeked out one night and like drew you drew like max katie and i drew something else (laughs) and it was like the last time i remember i think i drew vincent price off of the um, yeah, I remember Cinema that. Fantastique yeah. cover, and it's like that was the last, and then we put them up on our opposite walls, and that was like the last time I met even drawn, you know. And uh, but so I had I had this big pad of graph paper, and I, you know, and I don't even think that I had the thing on video, and it was definitely probably even before it was out on video, but I think just through pictures in you know like the Rocketeer mag- movie magazine that probably yeah, like the Star Log or something, <laughs> you know. I went and I drew like my own like full size like, like schematics. schematics. That's- <laughs> 
awesome. <laughs> the jet pack. Like, How do you think it, you know, it, it was like a ruler and everything? Yeah, yeah. Like, I spent like a week on it yeah. or something. Like, Polishing this art. You're looking I, at like Art Deco you know, <laughs> design. In my mind, it, it looked great. But who knows what it actually looked like in yeah, reality. Yeah. But... Uh, I mean, we were so, so into just, this. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's definitely something we have to get into. But so, like, we just have this, this the, it, wonderful... How it caught our imagination. Yeah. It was just, it was the right place at the right time. And we just have, like, this wonderful plot involving this, like you said, I mean, it's one of the things that I love about the movie, but I can see why, you know, maybe a, a more layman, common audience, you know, a usual average audience wouldn't... You know, the, that the action sequences, there are great action sequences, but a lot of them, it's like him flying, you know, not being able you know, to fly around the, the club. You some know of the I people, mean? I've heard some some of the critics, they the, the, one of the, the things they talk about, that talk about, because I'm suddenly just walking, <laughs> wow, that they kind of, um, they say like it takes its time getting started and it's kind of slow, and I don't see that at all. I'm completely with it from the beginning. There's nothing, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's nothing really... I mean, it like we're saying that there is yeah. a. It's fun the adventure of them learning what it is, and I think that's maybe what people are saying is slow. But it's yeah. like for me, it's like the it's first it's only an hour and what ninety minutes or an hour oh, and forty the, minutes. No, I think this movie might be two is hours. It? But but I feel like it's moving. It's never like you know. No, if anything, I can. If I was going to point to any pacing issues, which I don't have a problem with, but if I was going to point to something that I think might be pacing issues, it might be. It's definitely not the beginning and the discoverer thing. I think the first half of this movie is, you know, right on point in terms of pacing. Um, it's just, the, I think almost it's like, it starts, instead of like ramping up to the finale, it kind of like plateaus and almost like ramps down into it, which, like I said, I never really thought about it and, and, and don't really, it doesn't really bother me about it. But if I was going to say anything about pacing issues, I wouldn't. I wouldn't point to the first half of it. Yeah. I would say that, like, from the minute that the gangsters enter the Bulldog Cafe to the explosion at the end, if anything, there might be pacing mean, issues between those During two. the whole club sequence and at the, yeah, the, the seems, Griffith Observatory. Yeah, it seems like that's almost like we should be, by the time that happens, we should be full steam ahead. Yeah, heading towards this grand finale, but instead we have like this drawn out sequence at the at the restaurant, which is fine. I like it, and it's w weird. There's the actor that's in this movie. It, I didn't think of it until we watched it. Now you know the guy who um, I don't know his name, but he's in the movie. He's one of those goons, and he's also one of the guys that's in your movie, Midnight Run. You know the actor? He's the he's the mustache. He's the one that kind of goes over there, and they sent him to the Bulldog Cafe. Oh yeah, yeah, the, like the guy who's leading the group. In yeah, kind of looks like Robert De Niro. Cafe. Yeah, yeah, he's also in the Untouchables. He's the guy that ends up uh, uh, Kevin Costner kills when they're outside the bridge in Canada. He shoots him. Uh, my dad went to school with him in West Haven, and my dad was like, when we, the Untouchables came, I was like, see that guy? I went to school with him, and he, you know, my dad told me like he, they were trying to get him cast as Frank Nitti, but he looked too much like De Niro. Yeah. That's why he wasn't in the Untouchables. So I've only seen him in this uh, Untouchables Midnight Run in this movie. So when he, when he came up in here, I hadn't thought about him in twenty years. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's that guy. You know, I hope he's yeah, all right. Yeah. You know, you know. But the, the, those would be the, that would be. It's like almost like the minute. So, so we have the mob, and we find out that the mob's working for Neville Sinclair, who's a, who's a who's an actor, 
Yeah. Uh, supposed to be an Errol Flynn type. Yeah, because evidently Errol Flynn, which I think now it's been discredited, but there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> there's came a out. lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff came out in Errol Flynn, like him being like a sex maniac. I've heard crazy well, things. Some, where he you went, know, somebody like, wrote a what's the guy's name? He the, wrote a Charles Hyman Highams. He wrote an unauthorized and they say fabricated biography on the actor, and I think. None of this was refuted until the 80s, probably, and I don't want to say this disparagingly, probably because no one was thinking about it. Yeah. You know, Earl Flynn died like, uh, he died like, I think in the late 40s, he had like a heart attack. I get him and Clark Gable. Clark Gable died in the late 50s. And Earl Flynn, uh, he was like a ladies' man. I don't know if he was bi, but I mean, he was like doing crazy, like, you know, he was having sex parties with, I heard like, you know, glass ceilings, like dildos on the walls. I mean, you know, you think about, you're an actor in the 30s. Yeah. And you're that, you know, you're like a, uh, a Rudolph Valentino. You know, you're doing freaking whatever you can, you know. <laughs> so, and for some yeah, reason. We don't, the, yeah. the, the only thing you're worried about is you yeah, know, getting, no, getting someone pregnant. Yeah, maybe. or, you know, you mean you're going to get the clap or something. Cause some some venereal disease. There's no AIDS or nothing. So, you know. But for some reason, he got kind of like this this Charles uh, Hyams. Uh, unauthorized biography labeled him as like a Nazi spy. Yeah, they said know? he was like a you know like a fascist like a sympathizer. sympathizer yeah, for the for the Nazis, him. and that's certainly true. Where you had the Bund Party here in the late '30s, Charles Lindbergh was a Nazi sympathizer. Henry Ford was. There was actually a uh, big meeting at the Garden, the Madison Square Garden, 80, 38, 39 of the Bund Party, which was all pro Hitler. They had Hitler youth camps in Long Island, New Jersey, for kids. But then when the war started, they're like, shit, you know, this is yeah, bad. Yeah. So that's when everyone like Lindbergh and uh, um, Henry Henry Fonda, I was going to say, Henry Ford kind of laid low and they kind of like disavowed yeah. their Nazi I think, cause. yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, we talked about it earlier, you were talking about it earlier, that there was this period of time where like, you know, people were like, uh, the Nazis. They didn't realize it was the, it was the Socialist Party. It was the, um, Oh, what's that? It was like working, the working social, I forgot the name that they, they called themselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, people look at but it like, like they're the far right, but they the, were actually the far left. It was very weird. Even with the, uh, you know, around the time of like, the, you said like the convention or whatever that they had at Madison Square Garden, around that time is around the time that Marvel then, uh, Timely Comics, maybe I forget the name. Yeah. they. That's when Captain America was, you know, created and we get that famous old Captain America issue where he's punching Hitler. Yeah, yeah. Back yeah. in the day, they used to put the, the address of the offices, which is right around the corner from Port Authority. Wow. On 42nd Street, right around the corner from Port Authority is where the the, the original Marvel offices before they were quote-unquote Marvel were. And they got huge protests. The people... Oh, because like, they, they were... They ended up actually moving to the Empire State Building because of... Protests The reactions. The pro-Hitler. Yeah. Well, it was... I mean, you had a lot of ethnic groups, especially the pro-Germans, like, you know, in the Upper East. Upper East Side and at the time and stuff in the Jew the Jewish communities and there was a lot of animosity built up against the Jewish community at the time because of what was happening in Europe which we we talked about maybe in the Batman cast or I forget what cast we actually no it was the Mad Love cast we talked about what was happening in the in the yeah, yeah. you know the history wise in Germany and Europe prior to World War II so you had people here supporting you know because they didn't realize what was going on to the full extent until the war broke out and then you see what was happening the atrocities that were being committed so you had sympathizers and for some reason someone thought Earl Flynn was a sympathizer and I think there's like a little known fact here that like at the time you always hear like Hitler was a big fan of like say Charlie Chaplin's and watched all his movies yeah well, but there was an, there was another one where it's like um he was a huge fan of um of what's his name of of Clark Gable and uh there's a I, I was gonna get into this a little later 
but there's a great another great book called there's a song called Over There that they made in the 40s like over there over there Yanks on the you know are, are yeah. coming be prepared over there and it's about like you know the, us getting into the war going over there World War II but there was a great book called that came out like 2000 2011 called Over Here and it's about New York specifically New York City in World War II and what people don't realize that they were there was really valid concerns for uh, pe- like spies coming and that, that actually happened sure. where like a U-boat landed off Long Island people got out and they were infiltrators that Hitchcock movie saboteur is all about that there was a lot of like this uh um paranoia that was a lot of time validated they had like people on the on the docks watching and that ended up becoming that job that we talked about in the cruising cast where those those guys were still doing that in the 60s or 70s that's when they started preying on the gay people so when at the end of this movie when you have the paul servino the valentine character uh, turns on the Nazis. That was very true. The mob at the time and the gangsters were very patriotic. And during the war, the government, I think the FBI in particular, Hoover, they made a deal with the New York mobs, um, like Murder Incorporated and Jaime Weiss and all them, to uh, they the mobs patrolled the beach, the waterfronts, and actually kept the waterfronts clear to make sure that there were no people coming up or spies. And that was a real valid concern. Yeah. So that's very believable at the end of this yeah. movie. I don't know if people ever knocked that, but that's really true that they're like, I'm not working for no fucking Nazi. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a great movie called like Cross the Pacific where it's uh, Peter Lorre uh, and it's a Humphrey Bogart movie, but it's about these these like local gangsters and Nazis come played by the great... Um, uh, Conrad Veidt and once they realize that they're Nazis Peter Lorre and Conrad Veidt they're like fuck them I'm going to kick them right in their swastikas and it becomes like this real great you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so there was like this real you know, thing at the time where like people were like you know so pro and it's great that, that you know the, the, the patriotism that even the gangsters were like yeah. you know even though I'm you know I'm stealing money from the man you're not going to fuck with the flag of the country you know what I mean so it's very funny and the idea that you know, the jetpack was something that the Nazis would want. Is like totally. Oh, it's so. You know, like just like Indiana Jones. You know, we get the Indiana Jones thing where it's like, yes, we see all these shows now on History Channel and stuff about like Hitler, Hitler and the occult. But also, like, there's all this talk about like you know the UFOs, oh, the like, technology that, that they were doing. I mean, people don't realize, sadly, all those experiments that like Mangala were doing, like Auschwitz and all those medical things, they really furthered us, like. By decades, the medical technology, because they were doing stuff that people couldn't do or were only sadly doing to animals. These people were doing in living yeah. people at the time. And, and for better or for worse, I mean, that's the dark secret. After World War II, we stole all their scientists, all their doctors. I mean, uh, what's-his-face came over here. Oh, what the hell is his name? And he with the he made the V-1 rockets, and he's the one who got us into space. Um Oh, gosh, I forget the, the guy's name, the, the famous Nazi uh, scientist, but he's the one who directly helped us with, like, the Manhattan Project as well as yeah, got us yeah. into the 50s with our rocket programs. Because well, yeah, the end, I mean, they, we wouldn't have been able to go to the moon without, no, without, 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 without the Nazis. Without Nazis. And it's hilarious because at the, end of, at the end of World War II, if we hadn't conquered them, they were getting into, like, uh, rocket planes, you know, that we ended up developing right after World War II when we were, we were fighting against the... Uh, the, the Soviets and then their V1 rockets that they were bombing London with were like really uh, high tech for the time even their Zeppelins I mean they had that big thing with the Zeppelin you know filled with hydrogen blowing up at the um, uh, maybe Lenhurst airfield over here in, in New Jersey but in the war they were still using uh, Zeppelins and what they would do is a lot of people don't know either is that they would fly these Zeppelins over onto the West Coast and they were dropping bombs and the government didn't tell anybody. So these bombs were being dropped in like Oregon and stuff like that or like they were torpedoing. Like there was U-boats 
like in you know the, they were they, that was their scare. They were worried yeah. that some U boat was going to come up in New York Harbor and like just start shooting. So they were, this is all covered in that book over here, yeah. where it's like you know there's a big blackout. There were no lights in Times Square. You had air wardens on the um, uh, on the buildings. They were like you know after seven or eight o'clock, you could have no lights on, no headlights. You know cars were painted certain ways so that you couldn't see them. All this stuff because they were worried and, and realistically that you know you could have you know we never had any. Luckily, aside from Pearl Harbor, none of that war affected the continental U.S., but it was very close to. Yeah, yeah. You know, coming over here and being bombed or whatever, that was a real concern at the time. So it's, it's interesting to think of, like, how... And then with those rockets those Nazis were building, if they had developed one that could, you know, come across the Atlantic or from a platform in the Atlantic, attack the, yeah, the yeah. United States, yeah, you know, New York you City. See, you know, you see on all these shows about, like, the kind of technologies they were developing. So stuff. ahead of their time. So there's so much about this movie that, like... What I, one of the things I love about it is that there's so so much about it is is based on kind of like his, history in a way that like you and I as at the ages that we were when it came out. Oh, we were so in, you know. But we wouldn't have known all of that. But it's rich. There's a depth to it. Like the Spruce Goose. No, oh, you know who who <laughs> even realizes it's like you know the Spruce Goose is in it, and it's like all those really those nods, and I feel like. At the time, for some reason, like Disney owned the rights. They like the Spruce Goose. I think is like anchored like in the same harbor or maybe San Diego that the Queen Mary is. Yeah, Spruce Goose was the you know they, it's a big part of the it's a big plot point for the movie The Aviator, the Scorsese movie. But it's Howard about Hughes, Howard Hughes. Yeah, Howard Hughes was was building this the ultimate. He, he built the biggest, the biggest plane ever designed. Yeah. you know, and it was and, and he was being he was building he was building it for. Uh, it was a government the contractor. War. Yeah, it was something but like... It, but didn't, he didn't finish it until after the war. Yeah. So it was and this it, big thing about that. He stole the money from the government and that it, he was, they were never really developing it. And then he actually flew it. And but it, it didn't only really f- fly. It, it only, only flew one thing. Yeah, like, it was a test flight and it only got off the... You know, they did it in the harbor because it, it's a, it's a like a... Uh, it was like the, the wingspan is like three football fields or something It's crazy got like six thing. engines on it. I think it's made of wood because it was a prototype. And the whole thing was it was going to be like a bomber or a long distance that we ended up getting like with the... Like the uh, uh, B-29s or whatever. Yeah, they were going to was going to fly the tanks or something. You know, shit. and then, <laughs> you know, and, and it only up happening they had like a one test flight that Hughes flew himself and it only got off in the har- in like it's like in San Francisco Harbor or one of the California harbors. It only gets off the ground maybe like 50 or 100 feet off the water yeah. and it flew and it's like hey, it technically but flew, it flew and, it, yeah. and that was it. So we have that little nod there where yeah, where uh, he's like where it, it does fly brought in. because you think of how big if you're a Howard Hughes designing aircrafts and then you're designing something that big and at the time I mean the sky's the limit you could do you know, we're still thinking about maybe having flying robots or even like in, you know, G.I. Joe or even, I guess, the Marvel now. You have those flying aircraft carriers, which are such, such a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. And those were for World War One into World War Two. Aircraft carriers were relatively new. Landing something in the middle of the ocean is such a yeah. great idea. So why not have the technology where you can have stuff land in the air or whatever? Sure. So for him to design something that big and uh, you know it, will it fly because it's I so mean, heavy? It's the aerodynamics. To this day, I think the biggest. It's the biggest thing that like ever flown. winged aircraft. Yeah. that has ever flown. So they have this thing permanently docked next to the original Queen Mary in California. And I don't know why, but Disney owns both of them for some reason. And they're the only, I think the Spruce Goose is the only, they're calling it a ride or an exhibit that loot that has lost money because people, I guess, don't really care to go see it. But there's a little nod to it in The Rocketeer, yeah. which is like when he, when Secord goes to... Escapes. He escapes the Hughes uh, the, office and the FBI he's got to save Jenny. He's got to go meet the Nazis to, to exchange. At the Griffith Observatory. And he, he runs out the door and then he jumps... And grabs onto that giant model plane it's on the, the track, goose. and then it, and then it continues going, and 
Yeah, Bob Hawk, Hughes, Hughes is like, is like damn it, Will Fly. Will fly. <laughs> That's just Bruce Goose. Yeah. It was like they were in the process. And like in the history of the movie, they're building it. They're designing the Bruce Goose right then. And that's like a conceptual movie. model for it, like a scale model. And it's like it will fly. You know, it's, you know like that's something that like I certainly, I certainly at age of 12 or however old I no, was, See, this is what I was going to say. I don't know. I think I knew about it. And I think the reason why I knew about it, it's a Disney tie-in because I think there is a joke for people who uh, remember this better than I do, in DuckTales or like in Tailspin, yeah, I think be. there's a reference to like, this. it's like, you know, goose, ducks. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I think there's a history of it there. So there's a frame of reference where they have like, you know, Howard Hughes McDuck or something, you know, comes over yeah. or Launchpad McQuack is flying a spruce goose. <laughs> Launchpad you know I mean? McQuack. McQuack, you know, and so I think that's how I had a frame of reference where I kind of knew what he meant. So, you know, at the time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so, uh, they go to cast the movie. Yeah, let's get into the casting. And there's a lot of what ifs here. I mean, they they, they were looking at Johnny Depp to play. Yeah, him. what if game. What yeah. if game. What if continued this yeah, time. Yeah, four C chord. Yeah, four cliff. D- Disney really liked Johnny Depp for the part, but yeah. Depp turned it down. They offered it to Vincent D'Onofrio, who yeah, also oh, turned it down. I don't know what he was doing at the time. To turn it down. I mean, you got figured that time, it's like, what is it? He's probably only really known for Full Metal Jackets. And so. he cameos in Breakfast uh, uh, Babysitter's ba- Babysitter. Uh, he plays uh, Thor in the Adventures of Babysitting. Adventures yeah. of Babysitting, and he's jacked at that time. And yeah, he turns it down for whatever reason. He might have did something else that we're forgetting that was big around that time. But other people that were thought of were Kevin Costner. Oh, this is a phone book of people here. Matthew Modine, yeah. Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell. Bill Paxton. I think Kurt Russell, Dennis Quaid, Bill Paxton, Emilio Estevez. All, I think they, they all read for it. Yeah, they yeah. all read for it. And I think that, that means they were turned down. And um, there's another... Um, there was somebody else, too, that, that, that came out on like a Howard Stern interview. Uh, Richard Marks came out on a Howard Stern interview and said he was off. He turned down the title role too. Is he like a musician? I think so. I, uh, think he has, I can see him. He kind of looks a little bit like. So you get Bill Campbell, who no relation to Bruce, who at the time I guess is doing like a Renaissance. He fair. works at a Renaissance fair. He's full an actor, beard, kind of out of work actor working at a Renaissance fair. You get long hair, full beard, and I wonder if he means he, like he's the upstate one here in Tuxedo, New York. Is he that? No, he must be in California. I, I don't know if so. they're, maybe they're auditioning in New York City too. Like oh, they're maybe coastal, but I. He hears about the auditions. So he goes in and he auditions looking like that. Yeah, like beard and freaking long hair. And, and I delay. guess his audition was good enough that they decide to eventually bring him back for a, for a screen test. But what he had no uh, backstory of the character. So what he ends up doing is he go grabs the books, reads the comics, gets a framing of the backstory, and then he brilli- brilli- brilliantly gets his hair cut to look like Secord from the comic and... Bruce is such Bruce. Bill is such a good-looking dude. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, gorgeous. Well, he shaves. He's, yeah, he's, like, all, you know. And he says that, like, he looked at the comic book. He's, like, man, this, like, I actually do look like this guy. So he walks into the office, and... Um, he walks into the, for the screen test, and, like, Joe, like Joe Johnston's, like, having, like, at the craft table, getting <laughs> a cup of coffee, and he walks in looking exactly like fucking Cliff Secord. And it's, and like, Johnston, almost like, like does hired. a double take. He's, like, holy crap. And that's when Campbell's, uh, Bill Campbell's, like... Man, I actually might have a shot at this. I mean, he was a nobody. Yeah, it's great. And, he, and, and it's his first movie, and that's how cool that he gets the lead. Which eventually, you know, like Disney really wanted a name actor for it, but it was Dave Stevens and Joe Johnson that really pushed for Bill Campbell. They really thought that he they was kind of They believed in him, and, and he looked the part. And um, they wrote... Um, 
the Eddie Valentine character for Joe Pesci, and Joe Pesci turned it down, and you get the great Paul Savino plays the part. I think second, he does it second well. appearance on a on a on a on a, on a pod on a, <laughs> is it the second or maybe more? Because he's in cruising, and I feel like he did something else. And I have a connection to him. I should have thought of asking him about this for this for the podcast. But I think he plays a brilliant part in it. Yeah, I think he's great in this. Um, you have they wanted Lloyd Bridges to play PV Peabody, and I don't know why Lloyd turned it down, but Lloyd ends up turning it down at the time. And I mean, he's doing a lot of work at the time. He's like in the um, naked not naked gun he's in the hot shots movies yeah he's doing he's showing up doing a lot of stuff at the time he's doing like he's on seinfeld a, yeah. a couple of years later but he turns it down and they get the great alan arkin yeah. i, I mean i love. think lloyd bridges would have been great in this point yeah but I, but I love alan arkin i mean i think he's great in this. alan arkin i think is amazing he's a chameleon in his earlier years i mean he's got a great part in like so i married an axe murder which is a little later like in i the don't know 90s. if they really needed the wig for him i could have you know yeah he could have been they, bald i guess they wanted him to look a little more yeah. like the comic but, but the comic but the guy doesn't have a mustache he has like these round yeah. eyes like i said he kind of looks like the eric Powell character from the uh, the goon but i think he's great he's amazing and he and if you notice he is doing something with his voice he is like he's putting some kind of like um you know like thing on um the character of jenny yeah a lot of a lot of girls here charlotte finn who was kind of a big deal back then she's in a great episode of 21 jump street by the way (laughs) yes for all (laughs) those people kelly preston diane lane who hadn't really had her comeback yet yeah um elizabeth mcgovern but uh, they settled on Jennifer Connelly. Uh, uh, and then you get uh, Penelope Ann Miller as well because she was kind of hot at the time. Yeah, well, she ends up being in The Shadow. Yes, yes, another movie that's well connected to this. This that That's um, connected to actually to the Rocketeer comic, Lamont Cranston, yeah, yeah. but he's he's called in the comic, they, they call him... Um, He's got another name in it. It's like uh, Jonas, I think he's calling himself in it, you know. Yeah. But it's very reminiscent. But uh, they've been casting Jennifer Connelly, who at that point we had we, we talked about Labyrinth, Labyrinth. About her in the Labyrinth a lot. She had done Phenomenon. She done, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, Dario Argento movie. She did about time in America. Yeah, and as a real young woman. And she's looking absolutely freaking gorgeous. And she movie, has a little uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor look going. A yeah, young Elizabeth she's Taylor so thing hot going on in this movie. And but this is the same year that Career Opportunities comes out. Wow. With Frank Whaley. Yeah, uh, which is a personal fave of mine. And uh, <laughs> so uh, she's so. She looks so great in this movie. And a lot of people don't realize. I remember when we were in college or just out of college, like that was after, that was around the time that she really slimmed down. Yeah. And she like lost a lot of, uh, I don't know, quote, you know, for lack of a better term, like the baby fat kind of. Yeah. She got like really skinny and her, and her, her bust got smaller. And yeah. I remember girls that we were friends with in college um, just could not, they didn't believe that like Jennifer Connelly was like known for her tits. Yeah, you know, like, like what are you talking about? Like, she had huge tits because she didn't have huge tits anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and it was, but then it's like, then you watch uh, this movie. It's like a lot of focus on her boobs in yeah. this movie, and then you get a movie like was that Mulholland. Mulholland Falls. Falls. Great movie. Which is like all about her boobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, her her kind of, her, she she's kind of like the, in a way, she's kind of the MacGuffin of that movie. But there's a lot of like flashback and like film strips of her. And you're like, holy crap. Yeah, she's gorgeous. I mean, even today, she's absolutely so gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, she's just, she's she's really, whatever age she is now, she's probably like a couple years older than us. She still looks amazing. Oh, she's, she's, you know? She she's, looks great. And she was perfectly cast in this yeah. because this could have gone, her performance in this is, uh, definitely she's gorgeous but she's also she plays it with a, like a kind of an innocence and a, very much a girl next door kind of vibe but like like the girl next door that doesn't realize that she's so fucking hot yeah <laughs> you know what I mean and also like this kind of period thing 
could have gone very a, a female performance in a movie that takes place at this time could have went very cliche. Yeah, it could have been very which which, which <clears throat> works for some movies. Like for instance, uh, you know, like Hudsucker Proxy, Jennifer Jason Lee in that movie, and I love Jennifer Jason Lee in that movie, but she's playing a very specific yeah, that, like that, Catherine that, Hepburn yeah, type, Fay Ray like, reporter, you know, like like that. Yeah, yeah. So like you could have gone, you could have went kind of cliche, but she plays it so naturally yeah and plays it like uh that and honestly that, and like yeah and 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 you get and you feel bad for her that cliff doesn't really get you know what she's trying to do with her career and um so all that but works she's gorgeous that and 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 it's she's kind of perfectly cast because you automatically at least for me as a male it's always important like like as a as an audience member, you kind of fall in love with her, so you understand, you know, like what why she's worth all the trouble. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not that like a good guy wouldn't try to save a girl in general, but like you understand that like what he sees in her, like why he's in love with her. Yeah. Because like as a viewer, like as a twelve year old kid, I'm in love with her. Yes. Um, yeah, she's, she's so so she's kind of great in this. Billy Campbell, you know, he's got a. T- I think he's got a tough part to play. Um, you know, there's a lot of little funny comedic stuff, and you can tell that like he's not a guy, he's not a comedic actor. But I, uh, you know, when he's like, you know, when they're at the the restaurant, the big what's the the big restaurant that Neville Sinclair takes her to? Oh, the South Seas Club. South Seas Club, and he's playing with like the flowers and stuff. <laughs> like it's funny, but it's like that's a guy that doesn't had ever had to play that kind of role before um but i think he delivers a great performance. he's great and he talks about you know for his background he read up on a lot of a- aviation he had a huge fear of flying but he kind of got over that doing stuff with the uh stuntmen and stuff because yeah. there's a lot of stuff i mean all that stuff that first half where he's saving malcolm who played by what eddie jones a lot of the b people in this movie are really good uh, casting yeah, who yeah. Came well up- that's the other thing i was gonna say there's so many great like character parts and then of course we didn't even talk about timothy dalton yeah well timothy dalton they they try to get jeremy irons for neville sinclair uh and charles dance uh they both i don't know for whatever reason they end up on timothy dalton who at the time was james bond he's been, he's, i mean he he had already made his last james bond movie but nobody they hadn't cast a new bond yet yeah so i think what was it license to kill was his last movie yeah. maybe, and that was like 89 Goldeneye doesn't come out till like ninety five. Yeah, so he's still at the time considered James Bond if they do a new so movie. So it was kind of like ballsy yeah. casting for him to go for to be the play with the, his image. Of yeah, like he's he's James Bond at the time, and now he's playing like a sleazy Earl he, Flynn. Like. Well, Earl, Earl Flynn, but then like we see like what kind of a sleaze bucket he is. Like, yeah, when he becomes when he, that, when reveals he, his colors when as he a brings. Nazi. But even before that, when he brings Jennifer Connelly. To oh, his house, chloroforms her, and he's yeah. like, it's just a chloroform. And he's like trying to, pick, he's trying to like romance her. And he has like, oh, he has the whole closet of all these different outfits for women. You and know, he has, and, so. and he's trying to romance her, and and he keeps on just feeding her lines from his movies, which is she, a great little scene that she knows them all. You and know, she's and she shows how smart it. she is too, and, but like how kind of like an empty shell he of a man he really is, yeah. and that he he wants to, you know her change but he's kissing her and you could tell it's like totally fake and well because he has and like then a when she walks he away to... like he, he like you know fixes, fixes, it, fixes yeah. something in his teeth i mean he plays it so brilliantly. yeah he's so, so good. opposite and, and he, he's he's playing a guy pretending to be james bond yeah he's playing like and he's got like the the slight like learned or like um 
uh, educated accent. Like, you know, he's refined, the refined 40s actor. Yeah. You know, like that great scene where they're doing the swashbuckling, you know, scene, like where it looks like he's fighting like a, uh, a Basil Rathbone kind of yeah, a character. Yeah, well, it's funny because that's... You know, that whole... It's like a take that, right off of a... Yeah, yeah that Earl scene is actually in a movie, yeah. essentially. And I was, I was going to research yeah, and what Earl, movie and Earl was. Flynn, it's like... Because Earl Flynn did a bunch of those swashbucklers where he I've plays like pirates. That, and, I've seen a movie and I was like, this is the scene that they're doing... From Rocketeer. In Rocketeer. It's a, it's a, <laughs> so that's what it's so cool. There's so many homages to like the real stuff at the time. And supposedly, uh, Timothy Dalton at the time did all his own stunts as Bond. Yeah. So and he was up until that time was the only Bond actor to do what, for the majority of all his own stunts. So that line when he says I do all my own stunts is like that's like double, yeah. that's like a double entendre there that he actually does do his own stunts in the in the Bond movie. And you he know? plays uh, in uh, Flash Gordon. Yes, in yes. the movie Flash Gordon, which was he a plays, flop at the time, which was goes into the reason why they wouldn't want to do a comic book movie. In the yeah, movies, yeah, so. which was in another movie trying to capitalize on you like know, the success of Star Wars and like and, the serial. Know, but they're going out on like the yeah, like, you know, like you said, the the the, the, the uh, what do you call that? Like the star stuff. But he Flash plays a character in that movie that's very much the kind of character Errol Flynn would have played. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it's kind of typecasting for Rocketeer. But I think a brilliant. Uh, decision on his part because I think he plays a really great like sleazy bad guy and it's great how they kind of let him uh, reveal that it, it comes off first as the Earl Flynn like you know learned uh, actor of the time yeah and then as he, the movie progresses and you realize that he's 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 playing like a He's like a double agent almost. Sure. And, then, and then when his true colors kind of kind of come out, even at the end when they're in the Zeppelin, and all of a sudden he starts speaking, he has like a German accent. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that's how he really he's been putting on that sure that that learned accent the entire time. And you have also you got the great Terry O'Quinn who plays Howard Hughes, who yeah. uh, you know people I think know him best now from Lost, the TV show, but which I never really watched. But to me, he was step stepdad, stepfather. He was stepfather. I forgot about that. Which one is he, he in? Was, because the second he, one is what's his face? But he was Andy a, Robinson. But he was in a lot of stuff. I think he's in the first one. Oh, okay. But he was in. He was a, definitely a familiar face to me in the eighties. So is the gentleman who plays the uh, the head FBI agent. You know, I forget his name. Um, uh, Ed Lauder. He played Agent Fitch. He, he's the tall one. Yeah, he's all over. Yeah, well, yeah, he was in uh, all over eighties. He stuff. was in. Uh, isn't he in a lot of episodic eighties television too? But um, you're getting Burt Reynolds. Longest isn't he in the Longest Yard? Might very. Yeah, he might very well be like one of the correction officers there. Yeah, the yeah. COs. Like uh, one of the, 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 the bulls. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so in the work yard. A lot of familiar faces. Yeah, I mean, um, what you were saying, uh, Malcolm. Malcolm, played by uh, Eddie Jones, who Eddie. shows up in what was he? And he was in our Remo Williams. He might have been in Remo Williams. We brought him up because he's in Remo. He's but like he also ended up playing uh, Jonathan Kent in the Lois and Clark TV show. Yeah. So a little, another little tie to a flying superhero. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's playing the father. Uh, we have um, uh, the other gentleman who I don't know his name from. Uh, he's from the uh, Bob Newhart show. And, and my then, brother, this is my, this is my, you know, <laughs> my brother Dale, my Yeah, brother. yeah, and, and he also, remember on Batman the Animated Series, he's the voice of the gentleman when they do that, they do like the homage to the Philip K. Dick Blade Runner episode. Well, because he's that character in Blade Runner. 
Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he is in Blade Runner. He's the guy. Yeah. So that homage he, is like way fucking homage because they actually got. I forgot. He's, the, he's like in the toy yeah, maker. He's, he's a toy maker in Blade Runner that she goes after. Yeah. Right. What's yeah, his I forgot name? His name. I forgot. Maybe William Sanderson. Yeah. Is that William Sanderson? And so then when they do the the, the Batman animated series episode, they can have him yeah. voice that character. And it was which, weird. It's so it's so in the weeds. God damn, so we gotta great. do that. We gotta do something. Some Batman animated, animated series, like Blade Blade episodes <laughs> or whatever. Oh Jesus! But it's so cool because at the time I used to get him mixed mixed up mixed up with uh, Bob the Goon. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, because well, the hair and interchangeable. I bet you they went for a lot of the same parts. Uh, and then you have the great Joe uh, Polito who just passed away, uh, playing Otis Bigelow, who you know we know from he's in The Crow. He's in a Hulk. He's in he's a lot a, of. He's skinny in Highlander. He, oh Jesus! Yeah, and he's in a lot of the Coen Brothers. He's, he's in, in a Lebowski. ton of Coen Brothers movies. Uh, he's yeah. in like Miller's Crossing. He's always great, coming up. Great, great character. 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 Yeah. And the minute you show, shows up on this movie, it's like you know exactly the part. He yeah, he's feels. like a seed. No offense, guys, but it's <laughs> you know it's like he's so. And then like when there's the danger, he takes the mic away. He's like, it's all part of the show. It's everybody. all part of the show. He's he's great. I mean, there's everybody that's really. Uh, good. Yeah, it was. I was sad you know? to hear when he died just a few weeks ago. And, uh, uh, because he is kind of such a huge part of, I don't want to say my childhood, but definitely of like my cinematic, yeah, formative years. Because he was in so many things. Um, great, great character actor. Um, yeah, it's sad because also a lot of. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are involved in this movie that are no longer with us. I mean, Dave Stevens, for instance, the yeah, guy created. He died, I think, in 2008 of maybe leukemia. Yeah, hairy leukemia. It's called. In 2008, he passed away, which is really so. Sad. He never, unfortunately, because the movie didn't do well when it came out, and he has, you know, he might have got to see that it had a bit of a cult following, but unfortunately, he didn't live to see the longevity that this movie's had in terms of like. Them bringing now the you know the just the the, the last just thing like the, you know people yeah, like the us, 30th anniversary you know, like and really stuff. you know he that the was cult, 2008's yeah. like kind of just at the beginning of like the podcast era so you don't have like this internet awareness yeah and and Facebook and you know all that's kind of new you know now yeah. it's like you can find Rocketeer stuff all over those I mean up until recently honestly like I. To me, like as far as I knew, like you and I were like the only two people that really loved this. Movie. Yeah, I bring that up all the <laughs> you time. You know, like I grew up. It's like, like I felt, almost put it in the same boxes. I mean, not literally, but like it's like Last Action Hero. Nobody likes Last Action Hero, and I think you and I are the only people. And I get into fights with people who are like avid Schwarzenegger fans. I'm like, don't you see the brilliance of Last Action Hero? Yeah. I'm like, no, it's stupid. I'm like, really? And it's like I always felt like, do you like the Rocketeer? Because that's great too. No, you don't like <laughs> yeah, Rocketeer. But like, like you, you, know, you and I, like instantly, we both loved the Rocketeer. That was one of those things when we met. That was like the, all the things that we discovered that we had in common. Like, of course, this like was all, one of them. All, you know, and me, you know, you talk about me growing up with like gangsters and all. Oh that, yeah, you know, well, I watched it at this time. I was like, this is so fucking. You know, and then you know, <laughs> and then like you know, like I said, my own material that I did, the script you read, is so influenced oh, yeah, by this. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you know, just the pulp and you know the shades of realism mixing into the comic book as well using real people the historical fiction I just think it's so brilliant I love all the aspects of that uh, and then you have lastly you have uh, tiny Ron Taylor playing Luthar and uh, well we I guess we'd be remiss to say that as well as Dan Dave Stevens has a cameo. Yeah, he's plays the in the when they show the. Well, we should talk about the propaganda film. Oh Jesus, it's so it, great. Um, um, he plays the the pilot when Hughes. Uh, it's always one of those things like uh, keep your eyes peeled because 
60 men died getting yeah, yeah you know, it's like very, that very much of like, the disclaimer like re- the new rebel the new star wars movie with the rebel rogue one is yeah. based on that like one line i think of in like star wars or whatever they're like many people died getting us this information or you know what i mean and that's that's the he gives that line he's like pay attention you know like man costs cost a man's life to get this out of germany and it ends up just being like a propaganda cartoon yeah it's just something <laughs> they were showing they'd show like like on saturday mornings you know it's a great cartoon but before that we see like some a couple of attempts of the nazis yeah. trying to do a jetpack and it's very much like in, in and the first guy who has the like a you know, really crazy looking jetpack they're strapping up the jetpack that's dave steve it looks like a real jetpack at the time and it blows up and they put them out and that's a lot of times there's a lot of footage of them doing the top secret v1 rocket footage and it was it's one of these funny things where it's like for some reason the nazi scientists never thought of like protecting themselves so they'd yeah. be standing right on the launch pad and like a v1 rocket would just blow up like <laughs> so everything would just go white because of the black and white and then minutes later you just see figures coming out on fire you know, and the it's other like, part they realize we should get away the other hide. thing that reminded me what nowadays watching that the first part of that propaganda film reminded me a lot of um robocop 2 Oh, where they're doing all the different tests, <laughs> all the different tests on like trying to get. No, that's it's so <laughs> get crazy. like the next Robocop before they settle on the the one that they end up settling on being the bad guy in that movie. Yeah, uh, but there's other like fucked up tests where it's like the thing going crazy and like killing itself. And um, it reminded me a lot of that. But um, but then the last half of this uh, propaganda film is is an animation very much in like the Max Fleischer. Yeah, style and those which, guys which is like badass. period correct, and they almost look like too. They look like Crimson Guard from GI Joe, like yeah, just yeah. minus the red, you know. And it's like them taking over the world, and then the America and DC, and putting the flag up. There and I think and I feel like even as a kid, I was like, that's a little like the fact that it's a cartoon. Oh, I oh. thought I was so into it. I, was like, I mean, the look- Nazis are gonna. Kick it. <laughs> I mean, it looks awesome, I like, but, but I think even as a kid, I was like. A cartoon, really? Like this is like the thing, yeah. but but it's definitely with the the style of it, the Max, Max Fleischer stuff, which then obviously around that time was influencing the Batman animated series, that style of animation. Um, you know, if looking at it now, it's very like a very fond nostalgic of. For, for, of kind of animation and, and I think works great in the movie but yeah, I think even yeah. at the time I thought you're like, wait a minute this is a little, little this is a little far fetched a little cheesy oh those Nazis are going to do that I, 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 I loved it even then I was like this is I can't believe that the Nazis are putting uh, you know cartoons out um, uh, so Tiny yeah uh, Tiny Ron Taylor which is where we started he plays Luthar and this he discussion. he cameos the actual actor himself in the scene when the uh, rocketeer is flying around trying to get the hang of the rocket after he saved Malcolm that he's flying through like the California like uh, farm and like wine or is olive he one grows. of the guys that says yeah, gophers he, yeah he's the tall guy on the yeah. left it says like uh, you know it's like dog will hunt or um, uh, what's he say like where well, you going city boy or he says what is it damn go, go. I think you sure got a pretty mouth <laughs> <laughs> he says whatever that you know <laughs> dog will hunt or they lay the face you know or like you know What'd your brother do to the door? Yeah, what'd your brother do to the door? Where are you going, shitty boy? You know, one of those lines. He says, uh, you know, for all those Texas Chainsaw Massacre Primus fans out there, or Deliverance fans, he says. But he says something like, yeah, he says, like, damn, gophers or something. He's the tall guy. There. Yeah, yeah. And um, he plays Luthar, and Luthar is based off this great actor named Rondo Hatton. Which we've talked about before. We talk I about don't Rondo. remember what context. We talk about Rondo all the darn time. And uh, Rondo Hatton was a, a guy who, like, um, he uh, 
born and raised. He was a star athlete in school. He was a religious man. He ended up being a journalist uh, in Florida, in Tampa, at the Tampa Tribune. And then he got into World War I. And while he was in World War I, he was gassed. And when he came back, he developed um, at this, this disease called acro uh, Magali. Well, I don't know if it's something, uh, something that you develop or if it's just like... Well, a, well, this is what happened. They're saying a lot of people credited at the time that it was the gas that caused the acromegaly. Okay. Now it's been disputed. They're saying it's genetic. It's hereditary. Mm-hmm. But maybe the exposure to the gas brought it on or brought it out of them. And what acromegaly is, it's a, 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 a disease or a, a genetic disease that involves the pituitary gland and uh, a tumor's developing. And what it does is, as it goes on, if it's untreated, it causes uh, the skeletal structure of your body to become disfigured, and you get odd growth in the face, hands, and feet. And what happens with Rondo as he gets on is, and he starts having his face kind of accentuates. Well, yeah, his, it's like releasing more, uh, excess growth hormone. Yeah, and it, and it really affects the, the hands, the feet, and the, and the face. Other people, um, you have Andre the Giant was, was, a, was a, uh, a, like a, a person that had mm-hmm. this. And also, Paul Benedict, who played Bentley on the Jeffersons. I was going to say, the guy from the Jeffersons. Yeah, had but it. luckily with him, his, um, his acromegaly was stinted because at the time, his symptoms were halted because he had an operation that they discovered cured it. So his kind of were stopping yeah, yeah. the tracks, but it didn't. But sadly, that didn't happen to Rondo. So Rondo comes back from the war, starts developing this, goes back to be a journalist. His wife ends up divorcing him because, you know, I guess of what's happening and how he looks. He goes to cover the first talking picture in Florida called Hell Harbor in 1930. The director sees him and is like, shit, you know, you want to have... We can save so much yeah. money on making Jesus <laughs> Christ, if you just use this stuff. And he's like, he's, he's begrudging. He gets a part in the movie. And then... He remarries, and his second wife is very nice and loving, and she kind of pushes him, like, hey, maybe you can use this to your advantage. Yeah, Go to Hollywood. And he's like, I don't want to. Goes to Hollywood, and then he starts getting bit parts in movies. Um, he's in a movie called in, in Old Chicago. He's an extra in a great Western called The Oxbow Incident. He makes his first big appearance in a Sherlock Holmes movie called The Pearl of Death. And then he starts being in, like, these creature features that, like, are very famous, The Brute Man, The Creeper. And he develops as this actor called the creeper this persona which then we talked about when we met the legendary comic book uh, or cartoonist uh, bob singer who developed a lot of the scooby-doo villains mm-hmm. he was the basis of the creeper that creeper. we know and love creeper! <laughs> from scooby-doo yeah, that yeah. we know and love so what ends up happening with uh rondo is uh he ends up dying from complications of uh acromegaly in, two th- in 1945 yeah. and it's almost uh I think his last movie, The Creeper or The Brute Man, is released uh, posthumously, sadly. So he only ended up making like four or five movies. But he has such a stylized face. And what happened with me with him is I saw Rocketeer, loved it, and then we were at a, a place that we were just talking to a, a listener about, Best Video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a video store that I used to frequent in Connecticut when I grew up, was growing up. And I'd walk through the horror section. They had one of the uh, Rondo Hatton movies. And I saw his face, and I'm like, wait, that's the guy from Rocketeer. <laughs> and I picked it up, and I realized, and it all clicked. Yeah, yeah. And I said, this is a 40s, freaking a real 40s yeah. B actor. How fucking amazing is it that they're using, you know, and it's yeah. just, I, 
I think as kids, it's like obviously it was a prosthetic, but we kind of felt like they were just making a comic booky, like like Frankenstein-y. yeah, like a real heavy like, kind of. You know, like it wasn't until years later that guy, you know, film lovers like us realized that this was they actually, you know, yeah, he's and you said he's in the he's in one of the original comics, and then they went for yeah, it, and they asked the Rick second, Baker, who was a big Rondo fan, had yeah, done Rondo makeup on, on himself, himself to, to to make a prosthetic for this movie. And Rondo, we'll have to put a picture of uh, of his high school picture in 1913 because he looks normal for 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 better or for worse. And he's ends up being name checked in a lot of stuff. I mean, he's in, you know they name him in the Rockford Files, and actually for comic book fans. Uh, the 2000 AD comic book character Judge Dredd, who's almost never seen without his helmet on, yeah. he has some sort of face-changing te- technology. And in issue 52 in uh, February 78, when he first takes his mask off, he changes his face. And the artist who does it is Brian Boland, who is the artist on The Killing Joke with uh, Alan Moore. He uh, makes um, Dredd's face to look like Rondo Hatton as yeah. like the face-changing technology. And uh, he ends up also being billed in movies that he's not even in. There's a whole series of English movies that I've seen because of my wife called the Carry On movies. Mm-hmm. And he's billed in them. And these movies are in the 60s and 70s. He's not even in them. But they just say, like, special thanks to Rondo Hatton. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and then he's also in 2004. He's in Stephen King's novel. They reference him, The Dark Tower, Part 7. They, they reference him in it. But uh, he's just a guy that kind of, like, captured people's imaginations. I started, I've recently been listening to... Um, not you know religiously, but uh, listening to Gilbert Gottfried has a podcast called like Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast or something along yeah. those lines. And Gilbert is like a huge fan of like the old Universal movies and old monster movies and stuff like that. So Rondo Hatton comes up non fucking stop on that podcast, so and funny. every time Rondo Hatton comes up, he brings up the guy from the joke. He's like, you know who else has? <laughs> That's the disease oh, I was. Oh, Paul Benedict. He's like, Paul Benedict <laughs> from like, Jefferson. Paul Benedict from... <laughs> and he always brings up, but Rondo so, comes up so often. I, uh, I met him. I keep on... T- I think I've even told you. I was like, you should try listening to it. Because he Gilbert, talks about... Rondo. It's all about like old comics. Like old, you know, Jack Benny. Like old comedians. Really? And like... And... and uh, It's so and funny. monster movies. I met him like five or six years ago. And yeah, I think people know this by now. But he's playing that as a character. So when you meet him, he's just, hi, how are you? He's very, like, yeah, he's an old yeah. Jewish man. Yeah. And then when he turns it on, he turns in like, ah, you know, I'm Gilbert guy. You're molting. I'm so <laughs> mad you're molting. You know, he turns yeah, into that yeah. person, like, you know. And it's hilarious when you just see him. He just stands like, hello, how are you? You know, yeah, it's yeah. like uh, after the, the appearance, he was on the show. I took him, I let him out of the building in the elevator. And we shared, like, an elevator ride together. And he was just, like, standing there staring at me like, well, now you know if that ever happens. You can I can bring, bring up, like, Rondo Hatton, man. <laughs> you can bring up Rondo Hatton. Yeah, so, so they end up, so uh, in The Rocketeer, Dave Stevens brings Rondo in. And what happens in, in the story in the comic book is that when part two, when, when Cliff goes to New York to get Betty, uh, she, uh, he gets involved with these carnies. And what happens is he, his old carny troupe, there was an incident where um, they were doing an act with this very legendary magician, and uh, Cliff would go into the water, and he'd get into a trunk, and the whole thing was like, the, can the magician get him out of the trunk in time? Yeah. And, they, and the carnies are all stylized off of Tom Brown, Browning's um, freaks. Yeah, so you yeah. have all the pinhead, all those kind of things. And you have this little girl who looks like, like a little baby, but she's like a small person. And she's in love with Cliff, but Cliff has his eyes on this other beauty. So what happens is that night, Cliff goes off with the beauty, and then he's not there to... A, but Rondo, his character's in love with the little girl. 
you know, he's, and he's like, hello. And he's not stupid. Or he's yeah, just like, yeah. you know, he looks like Rondo Hatton. So what happens is the next day for this magician act, uh, Cliff d- doesn't make an appearance. So the girl says, I know the act. I'll go in in his place. And what happens is she goes down, but because this is what they say, like her lungs are smaller, she's not able to like hold her breath in time. So by the time the magician gets down there, she dies. And because of it, it's Cliff's fault, Rondo becomes enraged, goes crazy. He ends up killing like one of the stagehands to hold him back. <laughs> yeah, in the comic. He goes to jail, and then what happens is he comes out of jail, and then for the for while he's in New York, Rondo's killing each one of the people involved with the carnival one at a time. You don't yeah. know why, until the end. And then he has this big in, uh, Atlantic City. They, there's the showdown when they find the magician, and Cliff shows up, and then Rondo. And Rondo looks exactly like, he looks more like him because it's a drawing yeah. than he does in the, in the book. So it's great that they then transpose Rondo. They get rid of all that backstory, yeah, and yeah. they put him as a heavy in this movie. And I love the intro. When they intro, when, when, when uh, Neville Sinclair calls him up, that's like, to me, that's like a deleted scene from Dick Tracy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like listening to the fucking opera. They like pan over to his phone. He picks it up. He's like, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it, to me, yeah. it's, it's like he's, he would fit perfectly. Now, this is why I want to say, do you think this story is in the world of Dick Tracy or is that too much of a leap? Because certainly the L.A., you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you know, but I wonder if like back east, are there cities that could be like Dick Tracy-esque cities where you have the Rondo Hatton from, you know, they're coming out west now, you know, I mean, the, yeah, the, all the fr- you know, the, yeah, the, the fr- for better or for lack of word, you know, they're all like, you know, they're migrating to the west. It's like, it's like who framed Roger Rabbit. There's areas that where there's heavily interacted with cartoon characters. Maybe there's other areas yeah, that aren't. Yeah. So when you call, when they call up Rondo to come in, I think it's amazing. And it's cool that Rondo's like signature move is he breaks people in two. He breaks yeah, yeah, their he backs. Folds them in half, he just folds yeah. them in halves. And I love, I mean, the, like we started the cast off where Rick Breaker was saying like he was so unimpressed about the, 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 the lips moving. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's so like his voice is so, you know, it's like, you yeah, know, yeah. where is it, the rocket? I think he's <laughs> just rocket. so, and that whole scene where he, when he's in the house and he has a 245 and, it's, and he just shoots the fucking cops and it's just, you know, like two, 245, long barrel 45s, he's shooting, you know, they're shooting the house up with Thompson's, they're ventilating the place. I will say the only thing I can think of about the, that I personally find uh, not effective about the Rondo Hatton character in the movie is the there's one shot it's when he folds spoiler folds the guy up in the in half in the uh, in the hospital. hospital, and then you see those big feet like scurrying. I like that though. I like he's like you know that's that's the only movement he could do on like the legs, like you know. And also we could talk about that since two thousand two. There is the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award, yes, which a lot of people have gotten, and it and it what it is is it's a bust of Rondo that looks like from the Creeper and it's a horror award I that people say, get. I want to say and I don't know the details and I don't know yet but This is why I bring it up. If at some point in the near future my book Scored to Death may be nominated for a Rondo award. You lie. And if it is He doesn't lie. I'm kidding. Whatever the voting process is I'm going to call on the masses of Saturday Night Movie Sleeper for friends to, 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 to please I want a bust of Rondo Hatton in my apartment so who bad who wouldn't want a bust of Rondo <laughs> we should put up that link if we can find it that Rick Baker auction that, that you bought the gremlin from I tried to get the Rondo head there was a there was a Rondo yeah, gremlin can we find the link to put in this cast like I'll of, try of to the see, face I'll try to see if we can find it you know there was also one where there was a there was a rocketeer helmet too Oh, that's amazing. That different I mean, we'll, we'll put in. I want to put a picture. We'll put a picture of like Rhonda look like pre the Acromagali. 
put this Rondo yeah. of Rick Baker bus, and then I want to put in the Basil Gogo. There was a latex picture. mask that I that I I was bidding on that I was trying to win of the Rondo head, <laughs> like a Rondo latex mask yeah. that was made by was Baker for right? the movie. Yeah, I didn't end up winning yeah. the, the auction, but that's I bid good. on it. I was trying. That's amazing. Yeah, so I want to put a picture of that, and then of, of course of of him, the the Basil Gogo's picture of him looks amazing of Rondo, uh, and it's hilarious because remember when we met, we went to the combo convention. And we met Basil Gogos was there, yeah, and they, yeah. they had two pictures. And I was like, I only had a certain amount of money. I was like, can you make a deal? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, how about if I tell you who these people are? I was like, this is Conrad Veidt <laughs> as the uh, as the man who laughs. And I was like, and this is Rondo Hatton. He's like, deal. And then he signed him for me, like yeah, the, the yeah. busts of those. So that's basically uh, Rondo Hatton. He plays this Luthar character, and I love him as the heavy in this movie. It's so cool, so great. I love you know just his the idea of him. To me, that's just so he is the bio, most. You know, you know, he's the one. He's bit the comic of, book, yeah. Character. He's like this. the one bit of like comic book outlandishness. Yeah, that somehow um, works though. It's like he's and it's because and it's not even because he looks like Rondo Hatton. It's because it's so clearly a prosthetic that it kind of like you know adds a little bit more of this like the movie fantasy. Yeah. Which, by the way, we should you know before we wrap up because we're running out of time. We're getting late. Sun's on, yeah, on yeah. its way up. Uh, hear my mom making coffee right upstairs. <laughs> You know, besides, this is the only thing that Ray Baker does in the movie is the Rondo makeup. Yeah. But I don't even think he applies it. No, he just does it. He said he made a, a, a really better one that was like almost like a looked, pullover. Looked, looked better, more but, like, it, but it looked was more one, like Rondo. But it was a one piece. And it's it, it's it, so they he did he changed it so it'd be a little more pliable, I guess. But well, then, yeah, it'd be pieces so that there would be a little bit more. And they changed his hairstyle because Rondo had more of the you know like when I grow my hair out, yeah, you get yeah. that fuzzy like you know like yeah, like a little bit pad. Yeah, yeah, that's how Rondo's hat well, hair was. Which is uh, transcribed brilliantly in the comics, but they give him like longer hair, which is fine. But I love that, like with his hat. You know, he needs his hat. He, you know, it's and there's just his, just the menace of him. You know what I mean? It's just he's so, such a. So that's the bigger makeup effect. That's the bigger makeup effect. That's the bigger makeup effect <laughs> in the movie. Uh, we talked about the brilliant uh, production design. Yeah. Um, um, and then a lot of the, the special effects were done by uh, Industrial Light and Magic, have, who did you know a lot of brilliant miniatures. Now, yeah, Lucas is part of that, and they also work with Touchstone and Disney for um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And supposedly they were supposed to have a Who Framed Roger Rabbit um, cartoon because we had a Who Framed Roger Rabbit cartoon show up uh, at the beginning of uh, I want to say it was uh, Dick Tracy, as well as there was a. Um, uh, Disney cartoon that or a Roger Rabbit cartoon that showed up at the beginning of Honey I Shrunk the Kids, yeah, which is also a um, uh, what's his face movie, yeah, George Johnston, yeah, and this was supposed to be preceded by Hair in My Soup, but they never made yeah, the cartoon, yeah. which it would have been great to okay. have another one. We're gonna bust this into overdrive. Yeah. There's a lot of shit to cover before we wrap up here. So Industrial uh, Light Magic does Industrial all that stuff, brilliant, the miniatures, yeah, all the stuff of him flying around, the, like the, uh, the you know, like Deanna and I. We've talked about it before. Deanna and I not together, obviously, but we we visited Disney World around the time of Rocketeer. Yeah, ninety one. I went. I went in January of ninety one, and it. They filmed this movie from like... And I went in like, summer of 91. They filmed it from like, what, September to June, I think? Or, or no, I'm sorry, June to September of 90 to 90. And then they, it came out in June of 91. So everywhere we went was that Art Deco poster yeah. of Rocketeer. And it just made you wonder, like, what the hell is that coming out? But so at MGM Studios, there yeah. was this right, right behind where the big display of, you know, the... Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids stuff, like the giant stuff, and yeah. like, you know, by the like the New York ride or whatever, and, and near like the the right by the New York skyline, you know, uh, backlot part of 
MGM Studios, they had this little museum, and they had all these, all the miniatures, like in glass cases, yeah. kind of shaped. And there was a guy dressed in the Rocketeer outfit, and I remember when we went up, me and my stepdad, he was standing behind ropes, holding the pose like he was taking off his helmet, trying to act like he was a statue or something. And my stepdad's like, no, that's a guy. And the, and the guy, <laughs> you know, was like, oh, you got me. You got me. This is really me. But so, like, I think I think I had seen the Rocketeer just before I left for Florida. Oh, see, I mean, to me, I didn't even know what it was. That was my first exposure yeah. to it. And then while in Florida, I saw it again. So I saw this movie twice. That's how, you know, it was, I was, I, I was so into it. You saw it twice in the theater? Yeah. So I, I saw it just before we left for Florida. And then while we were in Florida, because of all the, seeing all the Rocketeer stuff, uh, I was like, let's go see it again. That'd be so great. We, it was like raining that day when we were in Florida. So my stepdad and I went to the movies and we saw the Rocketeer again at the Magic Kingdom when they have like the nine o'clock, like, you know, uh, Fireworks show. Yeah, yeah. At the conclusion of the fireworks show, like on the Magic Kingdom, on the castle, they had a guy jump. <laughs> there was a guy with a jetpack. Oh, come on. And I think it was one of those like old, you know, yeah, like, yeah, the, like, one that the, can like the actual fly. ones. Yeah, that, that can go from here and to there. And it was just like it was like all the fireworks stop, and then there's like the spotlight. And this guy like fucking takes off <laughs> and just like flies. Was like, he dressed as the Rocketeer? Yeah, at least? Like, dressed he had the in, helmet and stuff. Just in the Rocketeer wow. outfit. I could, you could and he has, the, he has like the Thunderball airpack on. He was so far away, but you could tell. But just it enough was, to like, be like, it's him. Yeah, it's the fucking Rocketeer. Holy, he is real. Um, and uh, so Industrial Light Magic, I remember seeing those miniatures. I mean, one of the, th I think for both of us and a lot of people of our generation, it was like the movie makeup and the special effects that made us kind of fall in love with cinema. As yeah. like, you know, it's like seeing the behind, this was around the time, the 80s was the first time you got to see behind the scenes of like the movie magic. And yeah. it was like seeing the stop motion, you know, miniatures and all this stuff was just like, and I, guess, I was obsessed with that kind of stuff at the time. So to see that stuff in person, in person, excuse me, was really awesome. And I guess they said, like, I, I, re I remember when Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out, they had, like, a TV documentary that, said, like, rope kids in. And I guess they aired one for Rocketeer 2, which I never saw. And I guess I should have tried to see if it was on YouTube for this to see if they had, like, they're making of. It is. Oh, it is. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah. God damn it. I never thought of watching it. So maybe we'll include it on this. It's one of those things where it's, like, half about the movie and then half about, like, We'll see what real people are doing to fly. So you oh. see the jetpack guy. Well, that's and you see like a guy with a hand glider. Well, we need to end this cast on a very poignant thing that actually happened yesterday of this recording because it's kind of very, um, it's, it's it's very poetic. Um, before we get into that, I just have to give a shout out to James Horner who did him. Oh, the maybe music. maybe his most beautiful score. Yeah, it's such a. We talk about James Horner uh, before on the cast, especially when we did Commando. I think we deemed him. Uh, alumni <laughs> sleepover uh, hall of famer because you know just reading off a couple of his titles uh, Battle from Beyond the Stars The Hand the Oliver Stone movie Wolfen Deadly Blessing the Wes Oof. Craven movie that, that we love Ernie, Ernie B Star Trek 2 uh, 48 Hours Something Wicked This Way Comes oh. Crawl Brainstorm oh. uh, so many great Star Trek 3 yeah uh 
Cocoon, the list goes on. Aliens. Yeah, he's um, he is amazing. Uh, Titanic, I think, too. Titanic. You know. And unfortunately, he passed away in an airplane accident. Oh, Jesus. Uh, like last year, maybe 2015. Yeah, and we didn't believe it. Um, Remember, like, is he really passed? And it was uh, right around maybe we, when we did Commando. It might have been just before, just after. Because I think we, de- we we dedicated that episode to Commando. But his, his score for this movie is... Well, it's up there with that Indiana Jones. Absolutely you know, that gorgeous. I think it kind of fits the realm of the... Um, What's his face? Um, John Williams. And then when we're in you know, the uh, when we're in the club, the South Seas Club. The South Seas Club. The singer is an actress that people will recognize. I can't remember. And they're singing really. So, they're singing real songs. They're singing real songs. The begin, but the but be, those arrangements began the begun. Those Billy those, May. Billy May did those arrangements. Legendary for people who don't know who Billy May is. He's a legendary arranger who worked with Sinatra. He's very big. He, Billy he, May. He arranged for all the great like. Uh, Saloon you know, singers. singers of the American songbook, but he also wrote not the themes, but he wrote music for like uh, the Batman series. He wrote music for Green Hornet. But this is we're talking about the original '66 series, yeah, 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 yeah. and the Green Hornet. He wrote, he wrote music yeah. for not all these. Those things. Al Hurt did the the, the Green yeah, Hornet did, score, he but he wrote he, like he didn't write the themes, but he wrote like the actual scores. Yeah, within like, the, um, you know the music within the some yeah. of the music within the show. Uh, Melora Hardin is the singer, and she's in a lot of stuff now. I'd like seeing her now is like oh she's. And She's that bitch from uh, the air. I see her in this and that and the other um, thing. Getting to the so ILM. James Horner, yeah. Got to give a shout out to the late James Horner. A lot of, unfortunately, like you said, a lot of uh, great talent from this movie no longer with us. Yeah. Um, the, 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 we're doing the L, 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 the ILM. They did like stop motion animation. They had an 18-inch figurine that they would have going around, which is very much like the Rocket Man from the 40s because what they would do is they'd just have a real dummy on a string and they just pull him across and it's kind of like what they did here slow motion wise Disney designed a shaky cam specifically for this movie for the scenes when they're like on the um, at the end on the Zeppelin for like the the engine I would love to see this movie in the theaters like you did because I guess it worked very well for the engine movement but then when they put it to video they realized that the shaky cam didn't work as well so they took it out so that's another thing we talked about in the black hole them inventing technology for uh, their movies Disney invented this for this and Talk about the Zeppelin thing at the end. They they designed this 12-foot model Zeppelin, which is amazing, which, um, you know, and they, they, which they photographed behind uh, matte paintings to make it look like 1938 Los Angeles. And when they blew up the Zeppelin at the end, it cost them $400,000 just to get that Zeppelin effect at the end, which I yeah. think is a great. And that whole, that whole sequence, the whole last ending on the Zeppelin, I think is just amazing. It's hilarious. Very Indiana Jones, very oh, yeah, Last yeah, Crusade. Yeah. No ticket. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very much. And then, like, I love that, you know, with Rondo having, like, Rondo, with Luthar having, like, the thing yeah, on yeah. top and then, like, him getting stuck well, at the end. Well, you talked about, like, the matte paintings. There's, even as a kid, I remember you got that transition from the Hollywood hills yeah that f- dissolves into the the pillows oh on the yeah, bed when, when she, jennifer connelly is when is she wakes up yeah 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 you know those a lot of those transitions they're just really cinematic gold gorgeous um and then at the end of it there when um he takes the stick of Beeman's gum. Give a shout out to Beeman's. I was going to say, I, I chew, be- I chew Beeman's gum. I was going to say, oh, maybe Deanna. Hopefully, Deanna will bring some Beeman's. Yeah, I don't can, have it. Beeman's can, is hard to find. We can chew it while we're And I used to have show. a Connecticut dealer that side. Beeman's is an old gum that a lot of um, pilots used to like. The guys in the right stuff in the movie, and then the real astronauts chewed it. And then like people like Chuck Yeager, a lot of those experimental pilots, for some reason they that that was their gum of choice because Beeman's. it was because it had pepsin in it. Yeah. which is what Pepsi was originally made out of, which was supposed to settle your stomach. It was an antacid, so a lot of the pilots and stuff... Oh, for nervousness, you think? Because of nervousness and the, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, the altitude, the change in pressure, or the... 
Yeah, just keep you well, doing one, something. Well, one, changing in pressure, you know, chewing gum in general. Yeah, help you pop your ears. Helps pop your ears, but also was the pepsin would, you know, help their nervous stomach or, you know, the turbulence and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and that's why I think it, they say that if you watch the right stuff, that's the thing. Can you lend me a Beeman's? And that was their Beeman's gum. And Chuck Yeager specifically used was, to chew it. It was not only because of the chewing gum, but it was also because of the pepsin. Yeah. Was all their stomach. And it's great. It's just hard. It doesn't last very long. You can chew it in about yeah. five, ten minutes. You've had it. It, it kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. loses it. But it's, 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 it's like hey, juicy do, fruit in that way. You know juicy what I mean? fruit tastes the best of any gum for the first five chews. Look, if you... <laughs> Exactly. If you're if you're Chuck Yeager and you're getting on like if you're going to be getting on a rocket chair that's going to propel you down like a rail that's when you stop you're going to detach your retinas. Yeah. You only need about five chews, you know, before you. Lose. That's all you. And then when you're getting out of that, if you're still alive, you don't need that thing anymore. Which so, is like it's probably the only time that like it really is a the, the gum in general. The gum of choice that is, but is like such a huge plot point. Yeah. Well, that's what I think. I love the device where they they where Alan Arkin fixes it with the gum, and then at the end of the movie, he's able to take it off yeah. so that when Neville Sinclair goes out and he ends up blowing up and he falls into the Hollywoodland sign uh I think this is a real niche thing for people because people like myself I never knew this yeah. but the difference between Hollywood and Hollywood land what happened was um in the uh 1923 there was actually a real estate company to promote uh the area put up a Hollywoodland sign for, for the real estate purposes. And in 1945, the sign was given to the city of Los Angeles. So then in 1949, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce began a contract with the city of Los Angeles' Park Department to re repair and restore and rebuild the sign. But the contract stipulated that they take the land out, remove it, so it would just spell Hollywood to reflect a district, not the housing development that Hollywood yeah. land was. So that's so there was a Hollywood land at mm -hmm. one time, and they ended up taking the land down, and that's where you just get Hollywood now. But here, and we got the yeah, he he blows it up. The urban legend, yeah, that the, 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 the context uh, of the movie. Alan Sinclair blows it up, and. Uh, and then the last thing to call the rocket by its real name, it's the Cirrus X3, yeah. is Howard Hughes's rocket that, like we said in the comic, ends up being... Um, I love the... I love the and then the, the whole end of at Griffith Observatory, which we love from the pilot of MacGyver, he's living at Griffith Observatory, and Terminator, the beginning of Terminator, that's where he... You know, uh, beginning with Terminator, but the Rebel without Rebel a cause, without a cause, the we whole just, knife fight, yeah, which, which we was were, just in Greece. That's we all there. You know, he's like, uh, what did he say? Yeah, and I'm cute too. That James, oh, great movie. I didn't get to. Go. Unfortunately, when I was out in LA, I didn't get to go. But I remember driving. You saw it with the uh, the. I think when we were there, we saw it. I was like, we might, have, we, we might have seen it in the distance. Um, yeah, and yeah. then the, then the funny cameos. W. C. Fields. You have that little. It's almost like Death Becomes, where you have the yeah. Jim Morrison and the uh, the Marilyn Monroe. And here you have a great W. C. Fields, and you have Clark Gable walk by. Yeah, I yeah. love those little. You know, you have like a lookalike. But this movie is just. And I think it works. Like you like, know, as the story progresses, the tension that mounts. I love it's, all it's that. It's a movie that's really ahead of its time, and and for no other reason to have proof is that this is the movie that got Johnston the job of doing Captain America: The First Avenger. Yeah, which is one of my favorite. Marvel movies. It's yeah. probably it's definitely my favorite of like that first wave. It still to me stands up as one of the best. Uh, I liked it. It's Marvel movies. I think the ending is a little anticlimactic. Yeah, but I love the movie. There's so much. Well, it's fun. The flying wing. There's so many elements of the Rocketeer here. For me, I kind of when he became Captain America, it kind of. Yeah, it kind of. I started having problems, and then the whole character of Red Skull is so cool, and I just feel like they didn't do it. It's due. They could have made him a little more better. But if without, but it's like that's all like. Trans, you know, they, they took, it, they had surgery. 
they took the Rocketeer's heart out. <laughs> they put it into Captain. That's what you get. I and know. you're right. Without it, and he went on to do a lot of movies. Johnston. I love Johnston. You know? I mean, he's like secretly one of my like favorite directors in that. He did Hidalgo with uh, Viggo Mortensen. He, well, which he I did a lo- lot I of these. He did a lot of these movies that uh, that are like uh, character based. You know, um, uh, what do you call it? That are based on. Um, uh, these kind of properties. I mean, he yeah. did. Uh, you said he did Captain America. He did uh, a whole bunch. Hidalgo. He did Jumanji. But you could you look know? at Captain America and really be like, <clears throat> you know, Captain America as a movie, the first Avenger, like, wouldn't exist kind of without Rocketeer. It has so much of the same feel. Obviously, I mean, of course, you know, not that him battling Nazis is, is a direct result of the Rocketeer. I mean, that was yeah, in the yeah. comic book and stuff. But, like, the spirit of the movie yeah. itself as a, as a motion picture is so reminiscent of this. And uh, Johnston brings so much. Johnston was, like, the perfect guy to direct the Rocketeer. And then it was because of the Rocketeer, even though the Rocketeer didn't succeed as a, as a, as a property in terms of uh, financially, um, it got him the job as, as director on... Captain America. Now we also need to mention that earlier this summer, Disney announced it had been in a. There's been years where they said that they're devol- that Disney is developing something well, of revolving the Rocketeer the, as a property. The movie comes out. Uh, it, it's it's what did you say? Costs forty two million to make. It it only um, it earns uh, maybe forty seven back. And then in rentals, it ends like 23. So it ends up making like 65. Yeah, and that's probably really, it's probably only domestic. Yeah. It's the thing. For some reason, nobody takes it into account that well, worldwide, it probably did really well. But nobody but it cares b- about the worldwide yeah. box office numbers. It's always the domestic number. For well, they get reason. scared when it comes out here. They take the Disney's name off of it, and they just release it in England just under Touchstone. And they also <coughs> change the poster because they think that the Art Deco poster is too misleading about the who's in it. So they put a whole new poster on it. They give it to England. It only makes like less than a, th- a million pounds in England and it, it, it's a, a real flop over there for how they're marketing it so they end up having it calling it a dud and they end up um, well they, and then they have Pizza Hut uh, M&M's Mars Candy there's p- computer games I had the computer game the actual yeah, there was I, a couple of computer and games. the computer game was really hard You're, it's like one of these things where you can you can take the, 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 P, the PG uh, and you can fly around the GB or you can be the rocketeer trying to go after the Zeppelin and watch the bombs going off and it was really tough to get your hand yeah. over like you had to need a joystick or you're playing with the, like you know and uh, they had all kinds of stuff product licensing they had like we said the television special they had t-shirts clothing I had they didn't have the uh, they didn't do a sequel. I bought a T-shirt in nineteen summer of nineteen ninety one at Walt Disney World. Wow. It was a white T-shirt with the Art Deco poster on it, and I wore that thing. I don't know if you I wore it bought, out if I bought it big or if it magically grew with me. But I used to wear that when we were in college. Wow, I think I, I remember that. I wore that way past college. Like, yeah, that's how for some reason I don't know if it just stretched with me as I grew. <laughs> And it just kept going. <laughs> I, probably, I, I probably still have it somewhere. I definitely wouldn't fit into it now, but I, I'm, cool but I really doubt that to. I would have thrown it away. So they end up nixing doing the the three sequels, which kind of are the two sequels, which sucks because the next one they want to do kind of like you know Rocketeer in New York or whatever. So did you so, not see it in the movies? No, I saw it on video. Ah. And then that's when I... T- now, the plot for me worked. Like, I remember watching it, and I had no idea. The Nazi... I remember, like, when she walks into the secret room Neville Sinclair has, yeah. and the Nazi... I was like, oh, my God, Nazis! <laughs> and I was like, I'm like... 
Yeah, I'm like, I'm like freaking Raiders Lost Ark. Somebody in the face. Yeah, I was like, oh my god! It was like, it was, it was so it completely worked for me. I didn't see any of that coming, so yeah, I thought yeah. that was such a success. So I mean, for me, I just all the plots and turns I went with. So I don't know if someone watching it for the first time now how it would be. You know, yeah. if it would work or if it would hold up or the suspension disbelief. Did you see it coming? It just was. I don't a, know. It was. A, I mean, they didn't really have action figures and stuff. I mean, I have one now, one of those really nice, like, die cast ones, but um, that I bought last year at the comic book convention that we go to in uh, here in the city. But uh, but I certainly would have bought toys if they had. I would have, too. If they, had like like a, I, if they had a Rondo, Luthar. So, or... This movie so captured my imagination as a kid. Yeah. And the, and the beautiful thing about it is there's so many things that you kind of fall in love with as a kid that you kind of revisit. And you still have nostalgia for them and you love them in that way. But I'm, I'm not going to say rare, but the, on occasion you revisit something that you truly love and it's truly captured imagination. And it's just not... It doesn't hold up. It doesn't your, hold up. Yeah. It doesn't live up to it. And this is a movie that to me... Perfectly lived five up. minutes into this movie, yeah, you're like you're watching it. I turned to you and I was like, I "Fucking love this movie." <laughs> yeah, we're like, Hold me it's, like, it's like they're just like t- testing yeah. the movie, but it's yeah. just, you get the with the music. The music's so great, and it, it's it like just, an old girlfriend. You get or the, an old car. Your you old know, car. There's so you know? much. There's also just like so much heart, and there's so yeah. much. Um, you know, the, the our podcast is so uh, reliant on nostalgia. I mean, it's why we do this, and that movie. Just the way we were talking about Greece having nostalgia for a certain time period, yeah. that movie is such a beautiful homage, a beautiful love letter, nostalgic. So much to me, it's a, a nostalgic love letter, letter to to that era that it's portraying. That yeah. you can tell there's just it's 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 you know it's warm and fuzzy in the way that it portray you know the, that the love that they the Dave Stevens and Joe Johnston successfully and, were able to convey it and it's I mean because you can tell that they love it yeah I mean for me it's even to, it's influenced me to my writing to how I like movies to, to things I look at and you know the style or the genres I look at were all direct references from this and this is along with like a Dick Tracy a Roger Rabbit a Batman this was huge in our child and this is like top three maybe with the shadow too you know like these are huge huge things so like you were just saying before I finished up the, uh, given the stats of the thing, they're talking about as of July of 2016, they're finally saying they're going to reboot it. And it's going to be a semi-sequel reboot. Yeah. It's going to take place six years later, which means from 38, it's going to be 44. Supposedly, the Rocketeer character has been lost going after Nazis. And we're going to have, what, a young African-American woman coming in. He's going to take up the mantle. Yeah, and, and I just... And I assume the Clip Secord will... Make an appearance? Will, you know, like... Will be found <laughs> or, I don't know. or whatever. I like. predict this movie's gonna bomb, <laughs> and I just think it's such a silly idea. Just on the offset of what they're saying, because you know you have so much Dave Stevens. Uh, well, here's the thing. You know, what I mean, why do you need to like add something? Si- you know, I mean, I'm with you because I mean, we come to realize like this happens all we, the time. You can make like a reboot sequel. We don't have to go through the origin of the Rocket Pack. Maybe you mention it. You know. And, you know, you you make brief mentions so people are on the same page. But you could just do a Rocketeer movie without having to, like, you know, completely reboot the whole thing. And just have, you know... Have some, another guy play... Some other young, yeah. pretty boy or whatever. Playing, playing the Seacourt character. And you have know, just, just have a Rocketeer movie. You don't need to have it... I don't know. Then Unfortunately, like, with the age of... CGI and everything. There's there's going to be a certain thing lost. The the, the thing well, I the love producers it. who are developing are the people who did this new Jungle Book movie. Um, the it's uh, Max Winkler and Mar- Matt Spicer. 
So uh, and and then Bingham Taylor, who did the Jungle Book. So I don't know. I mean, the thing is, you know, the thing that I love about the fact that we've been revisiting all these movies, and you know, you watch a movie. We, I said it with Labyrinth. I said it with never ending story like these are movies that are just like you watch them and it's like the epitome of like the ingenuity of like movie magic like yeah. it, it's firing on all cylinders and this movie obviously a lot less effects heavy a lot less it's on the cusp of, of that CGI movement <laughs> but it's you before know? that CGI stuff really T2. starts to take over you have like uh Live action stuntmen strapped into helicopter mounts, being yeah. th- flown around, you know, cr- over the crowds and stuff. So you can actually see a guy in flight. Yeah, you have mixed like with that screening, with the map, the and map. miniature work, exactly. And, you know, with, and all with that pro- stuff. real life prosthetics. You know, to like, uh, you know, period set pieces. Uh, like, even down to the, the you know we the, the 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 bulldog cafe was a real place which we could talk we don't have time which, to talk about you know was on the back you know, lot that 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 set I yeah mean, on the back lot of MGM Studios and and, and yeah in, in Florida, Florida with a lot of the Tracy cars uh, if you're interested in the GB the GB that model the the plane is in like a Seattle museum go research that you can go look at that GB the plane that he's driving in I think it's the same color so to sum up. Uh, movie's amazing. You and I have unabashedly said we, we yeah. completely and love I, this movie. I can see that there is like a, that there are other people that love it, but I still feel like I, I don't. Mean, it's like it's, it's a cult. It's definitely a cult following. But I just I have such a great affection for this movie. I do, and it, I, I don't. I sadly do not have high hopes for this reboot. I just oh, don't like no. what they're doing. Like it's just like what they do nowadays. They just want, want to muck something up, try to go for a new audience or a new. They think that like the younger people, they got to try to like really, you know go after them and then these movies kind of get ruined and it's like oh well we tried and then all the people who were like you know yeah, and then they don't it. know why it didn't yeah, succeed and already I'm like and then it ruins the chances for another one. yeah for 10-15 years and I, so this this is, gets me really worried yeah, yeah. so I mean with all the, 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 the material they have Dave Stevens has they can make a sweet ass movie with Cliff Secord and like f- meeting like freaking Doc Savage or freaking uh, you know uh, anybody you know yeah, you can meet yeah. the, you know the shadow or you can even meet um what's his face the 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 uh, the Western writer Zane in that, that's also premiered in his comics. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing, but anyway. Yeah, it's just an how many buckets of pizza? I hope five. Five. Me too. This is it's just such five a fun adventure. Stores. Yeah, it's such a nostalgic, you know, piece on, in and of itself. So my and my nostalgia for it is so great. Yeah. Five buckets of pizza. And we've been talking about doing this since the uh, since the inception of the show. Yeah. It's has been on. The we've been list. holding. This has been like our, our along with like uh, like maybe a handful of others. These are like yeah, these our are like ones ace cards. We're like, we we're like on pocket. the first list of like the in the within the top five of the movies that we were like we need to do. Yeah, and uh, we're like it's always been like save it for something. Yeah, special. And this this seemed like a perfect uh, anniversary cast. I five sleepover stars for me. Um, I think anybody who hasn't seen it maybe. If we haven't spoiled it enough for you here, this may get you to want to go see it. Or at least, at the very least, go read the comic. Go read about the history of the era. Go read about Henry Dreyfus. Go read about Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Go read about Rondo Hatton. I mean, I get, with, I get like, you know, the writers and Stevens is, you know, maybe not loving the fact that any kind of edge that this story probably had got taken out with... You know, with, with well, the CD, it, with like the, the, <coughs> you mean like the more with, like adult elements. Yeah, yeah. Like having that was a his bit that of, was his gripe about it. Having it a little bit of edginess, but seeing this, you know, in 1991 as a kid, completely worked. Just, it worked, and it still works yeah. today when I watch it. I, I make I feel like agree. a kid when I watch this movie. Yeah. It's so great. So we hope you enjoyed this. Thank you very much for listening to our two-year anniversary. We have a great year planned. We'll have another uh, fun bunch of movies that we think you'll love because we love and. 
everybody loves. Um, check out our website yeah. because we'll have a lot of extras on here for this from this cast yeah, we'll and in general. Put the TV special. The TV special. The, we'll find the Rondo hat and prop that was Rick Baker was selling. We'll find a lot of the original other things. Um, check out our Facebook page. We have a great community there that we put pictures yeah, up. And, and I want to thank everybody on there that talks to us regularly and supports the podcast and supported the book when yeah. it came out and everything. And Blake's got his score to death uh, book and he has a, uh, a web page too, a Facebook and Twitter page. Yeah, if you have the have t- at score to death on both Facebook and Twitter, I will say that customer reviews on Amazon as well as the iTunes reviews for this podcast but customer reviews on Amazon are a big deal um, to the publishers and stuff. So if you, ha- if you were nice enough I love you for buying the book. If you ever get around to reading it and you like it, please take five minutes and write a customer. Write a real Amazon. shitty review. <laughs> let the publisher know how crappy it is yeah. so they won't let me do a new one, another one. And uh, we have a Facebook page and we have a Twitter page. Um, and check us out both there and uh, join the, the talk and the community. And, uh, you know, f- you can follow us. This this podcast is on all those um, podcast aggregate streaming sites. You can find us and and with the holiday season coming, we got Ooh, a lot we got of a lot of stuff because this is the last one of September. So next month is all we're doing. We're going to attempt to do one a week. So all we harder do, you know, all the time. We usually do biweekly, but this this year we're going to do uh, you know like we do in our horror cast. We're going to do once a week. So we're going to have potentially four horror movies coming at you. If and we, you know us. We like to throw left curves at you, so they're not going to be all the same kind of thing. So hopefully you'll enjoy our, our, our employee and picks. Ho- and hopefully we'll find the time to be able to pull it off. Yeah, because it's, it's, we're, we're getting down to, uh, in our domestic uh, day jobs, uh, we're getting down. We have a lot of work to do. Blake's editing reality shows, and I'm uh, covering elections. So um, we'll see what happens. But we, we have high hopes, right? Yeah. So uh, thank you very much. We love you all, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. It's been a great two years. Thank you. We love you. Later. I can't turn it off.